Welcome to School of Everything Else. Recorded Sunday 29th of March 2015, Star Wars Rebels. This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. Excuse the intrusion, Inquisitor, but I have encountered a rebel cell. You did well to call. All troopers, focus your fire on... ...on the Jedi. Our future is uncertain. But in time, a new hope will emerge. Your parents must be worried sick. I don't have parents. The Force is strong with you, Ezra. Come with us. Learn what it truly means to be a Jedi. What part of Blast Them did you not understand? It's over, Jedi. Not this time. Now! Well, kid, you pulled it off. Was there ever any doubt? Yes. This first part contains no major spoilers, so you can listen to it without having watched any of them. Second part, spoiler territory, and we'll let you know when that is. As we gear up for Episode 7, we're releasing a trilogy of original Star Wars commentaries. But first... Let's get everyone in the mood by talking about the best Star Wars-related thing since Return of the Jedi. And I was going to say Knights of the Old Republic, but then I saw the last episode of this season. And as far as capturing many, many, many of the things that we love about the original Star Wars, leaving out everything we don't like about the prequels, and adding in new elements that are very welcome to the overall saga, this is unparalleled. If you love Clone Wars, you'll very likely love this. If you hate Clone Wars... You may very well love this. If you've never seen anything Star Wars related since Revenge of the Sith, here and now are the place and time to start again. With me to discuss this fabulous animated series is my regular co-host Sharon Shaw. Good evening. Another loyal and recurring voice of this show, Master Neil Taylor of Gameburst. May the force be with you. And returning for the first time since our Green Lantern show, where we also discussed another wonderful animated series, Mr. Alex Eading of the Plaid Hat Podcast. And also with you. Now we have various talking points to go over, focusing on character and story development. But let's start with the technical side of things, including the look and sound of the production. So we will start with the artwork of Mr. Ralph McQuarrie. He's up there with the... Uh, and I apologise, Alex, you'll have to fill in the names for me. The two guys that work on Lord of the Rings. Uh, Alan Lee and John Howe. Yes. I, yeah. They're just... The people, I just look at their conceptual designs and I, I, I don't see conceptual designs. I see art. Yeah. I literally see just this fantastic art and I just... I want to take a stroll in their imaginations. Mm. Sharon, you actually tied them, uh, uh, him together with those two earlier this morning. What was uh, the reason for that? Um, it's to do with this feeling and looking like a part of the Star Wars universe that we're all already engaged with and already adore uh, because 
one of the reasons that I think the Lord of the Rings films clicked with so many people is that they were so used to seeing um, John Howe and Alan Lee's artwork as being a part of Middle Earth already. Those guys have been illustrating Tolkien's work for years. Um, that was the whole reason that uh, that Jackson went after them. So when they saw soaring buildings that were were patterned after calendars that John Howe had designed years ago when they saw that beautiful um, stance of Gandalf's on the bridge that um, uh, that Alan Lee had put together it, it looks like it's part of Middle Earth already and by basing the aesthetic of this on Ralph Macquarie's original designs that's their in that's their you can trust us this is the actual Star Wars universe you can tell because it looks like it Experimentally, I actually uh, went through the internet through Google Images and took every single one of uh, what Ralph Macquarie's designs that I could find on there and arranged them chronologically in terms of where this design appears in the original trilogy and played them for you as a slideshow uh, just so that we could see what effectively unfolded was um, a prototype Star Wars uh, and it's so obvious when you look at this stuff that while Lucas is this incredible visionary in terms of saying, I want a city in the clouds, Macquarie was the one who said, right, here is your city in the clouds. And he <laughs> drew it. This is what it should look like. Yeah. Um, so, so, so much of the, the imagery that we love came from his mind. And, um, but also because I've been loving that artwork for years, it feels like that was the Star Wars that existed before we saw the film. So it is so right and fitting that this period after Clone Wars, but just before A New Hope, I believe it's four years before A New Hope, is tied up with that imagery. So it feels like, oh, this, this makes perfect sense. That, it, that all the machines would look like his earlier prototype versions. Well, you conceptual artists, um, we've seen this with Lord of the Rings, we've seen this with the uh, the Marvel Universe, your, your concept artists are the people who basically translate the director's vision mm. into imagery that everybody else can understand, <coughs> that the rest of the crew can work from. This is a, a concept very close to my heart, especially right now, Sharon, I'm sure you can understand. Mm, indeed. Uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that, this was what they uh, started out uh, going with. Um, uh, Alex, uh, anything on uh, Macquarie? It just it feels like stepping back into a familiar place. From mm. the very first episode, as I started to watch, I was very leery about getting into it because the Clone Wars series kind of gave me a sour taste. Uh, I just I never got interested in it. And I think mainly it was because that particular series took place in an era that I didn't have a whole lot of interest in as far mm. as Star Wars goes but this feels like or at least it looks like the true it looks and feels like Star Wars like mm. what I'm mm. used to being for Star Wars whereas Clone Wars felt like prequel add-ons I mean that's exactly what it was but but that's gave me this uneasy feeling as I was watching as I was checking it out and some of the characters I liked and connected with but I just didn't get anywhere near as interested in the Clone Wars series as I have done with this first season of Rebels. Did and you? I think the look has a lot to do with that opening moment to say, come to this familiar place uh, because we were inspired by the man who inspired the, you know, the look of, of the original films. 
It's it's interesting if you go back to especially the later series of Clone Wars. It's actually simplified from Clone Wars. Clone Wars is actually really complex, especially in like the hair designs. And if you look at like that, the easiest way to compare it is actually Clone Wars Wookies versus the Wookies in the uh, the first like double length episode. Um, the there's a lot of complexity in there, and Clone Wars does get better, folks. If you actually, I mean, I was completely turned off by that first. The first film I found abhorrent, just horrible to watch. I remember raging about it on uh, an earlier version of this very podcast. Um, and uh, the first season bored me. The second season not much better. And then I stopped. But I've gone back and started watching like dribs and drabs here and there, and getting into the characters a bit more, and getting into um, like the. Like going, oh, this episode's boring me. I'll move on to another one. And I've found some that there's some some better things in there. Rebels grabbed me straight away and never let go, and just got better and better. You see, my problem with the Clone Wars is it gave me something I loved, mm. which we'll probably talk about later, and something I detested and hated, which mm. was the. <laughs> I said to this on Twitter, I hated the three part episode where there is the actual embodiment of the Force. So you have a light, a dark side, and sort of the neutral. I just hated that. It was a god-awful three-episode run that really turned me off the series. It's like, no, I'm done. No. Okay, folks, just so you know, we will not be spoiling Rebels from the get-go. We will go through it episode by episode as we go through the uh, the characters and save the really juicy, really like you don't want to know this stuff until a point where we'll tell you you don't want to know this stuff. <laughs> Warning. Go. Yeah. Uh, but so at the moment it's safe. Uh, we'll let you know when it's going to start getting into the territory where you like re- really don't um, don't carry on. For, and just like we were, everyone on this show I think recommends go watch this series and then come back. Absolutely. It might be a little bit harder than a lot of others. I don't know whether by the time I release this, uh, whether it'll be available on Blu-ray yet, but um, seek it out. Absolutely. It is available on Blu-ray right now. Uh, Simon Kinberg and Dave Filoni uh, were the uh, uh, the producers on this, and I, I believe they both came from um, Clone Wars, didn't they? I know uh, Dave Filoni did. <laughs> Let's check, shall we? I'm learning about Dave Filoni and Simon Kinberg as we speak, actually. Uh, I know that Dave Filoni is the one who really loves Plo Kloon, the, uh, that, that Jedi with the weird insect face. He, he loves that guy. A producer of Days of Future Past, Simon Kinberg, mm. this is. yeah, uh, and, uh, and Fantastic Four, so there is hope for that. And Dave worked <laughs> on Avatar. And uh, Gambit producer, and Deadpool producer. Uh, uh. Uh, and Chappie producer? Yeah. Uh. Anyway, but so so uh, these guys are not like absolute amateurs coming in there. They, they gave it to in safe hands. And Greg Wiesman also started the show off. He is now subsequently left. He of Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, Young Justice, Gargoyles. Do you mean he jumped before they could cancel the series? Exactly. I think he knew if I stick with it, it will become brilliant, and then it'll get cancelled. So if I, I'm, you know, I've, I'm just going to see it in for one season, and then you're going to run, run. And then start something else. He's like the littlest hobo, and uh, he's just going to go and like he's he's quantum leaping between shows now. I I, I, I wish um, Greg Wiesman all the best because he is an absolute golden. I said Midas touch. That's actually a, that's a mixed metaphor. Hang on. He he is a, a, a lucky rabbit's foot, uh, but not just luck. He's an incredibly skillful rabbit's foot uh, in terms of uh, adding him to your project. Just just elevates it. Uh, above what it could be. Um, another thing that I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in this 
in the doldrums, in the time when Clone Wars reigned and uh, the the prequels were the, the last thing of Star Wars and, and uh, the, the, the word was there were going to be no more Star Wars movies, that Lucas was done with it, there was a lot of talk about a live-action TV series. In fact, they said, oh, yeah, we've written like 40 scripts for uh, for 40 episodes. And they kept talking about this, talking <laughs> about this. And it's going to be like Firefly and it's going to have a group of like, um, you know, ragtag, you know, sort of uh, like no good pirates on the run from the Empire. And, you know, there'll be at least one Jedi in there. There'll be at least I seem to remember someone saying there'll be a Twi'lek in there. And that will be that it'll be set just before a new hope and that will be the focus of it and you know them being hunted by the empire it could be coincidence but i'm gonna go ahead and suggest that when you know that the disney were presented with look this is what we've got in the works there's this live action tv show and here's you know what we've got that the the, the remaining team of clone wars and the, these guys put together and, and oh hey we could probably combine these and and turn it into a whole new show and I, I think that's probably what happened. But, you know, mm. it's all speculation. We'll wait for the Blu-rays, I suppose. True. Uh, the rumor mill also had, uh, for the live-action one, didn't it have Kevin Smith attached to that? Oh, jeez. Yeah, uh, I, can, I like Kevin Smith, but, oh, jeez, he's not that good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I also like Kevin Smith, but and he was one of the first people to sort of start talking about Star Wars in, in main, sort of mainstream, in independent cinema, uh, mm-hmm. and, and sort of like part of the Star Wars becoming like hugely popular again in the early 90s. Um, you know, it sort of linked in with this kind of geeky cachet of having it mentioned in Clerks and Mallrats and things like that. Uh, so yeah, in all seriousness, oh, do you remember he did the the, the Jedi mind trick to get the um, video mm-hmm. tape back at the end of more words? Um, but yeah, the uh, uh, sorry, not the Jedi mind trick, the Jedi pull thing. Yeah, I know what you trick. mean. You know, force, what I mean. TK. force movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, there was a lot of rumors regarding that, and I, but I also remember when we did the uh, podcast on Return of the Jedi. If you remember, Neil, that they were talking about. Um, uh, that Lucas was saying, oh, there might be an episode seven and we might actually yeah. have this one feature, sort of focus on stormtroopers this time. And uh, yeah, really happy that came to pass as well. Looking forward to seeing that. Best thing Luke, uh, hey, I'm going to say this, best thing Lucas ever did was sell it. Because yeah. you know what? He's probably going to get a lot more peace and quiet now. People will probably leave him alone. Oh yeah, and he made a lot of money. Well, not the best oh, yeah. thing he did. The best thing he did after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> he did other things. Indiana Jones. Yes, we all remember Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Uh, and what was the other one? Red Tails, was it? Yeah. Anyway, let's let's lay off Lucas. This is <laughs> yeah, all leave Disney now, <laughs> and uh, and it really feels like Disney. Hence the street rat at the beginning. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Other aspects of the look and sound of production, uh, the music by Kevin Kiner uh, and the arrangements that he structures of John Williams' themes. I mean, this may have been absolutely instrumental to sucking me in immediately to the oh, world. Yes. Yeah. It took it. It did a lot, especially when combined with with Macquarie's kind of style and feel for the for the world. To it felt like going home back to Star Wars that hasn't been Star Wars in so long. Yeah, I do. I do like there are various things that make it not like the prequels, and I, I only mention the prequels here not to bash them, but just to uh, make the distinction of the uh, the bl- like. There's a lot of Empire 
architecture and uh, vehicles. So you get a lot of that kind of utilitarian, that kind of mass produced with very sort of blocky uh, designs to them. Uh, the TIE fighters have deliberately um, shorter wings than they uh, did in the uh, film such a, to fit more with the uh, Macquarie aesthetic, but it also makes everything very kind of blocky. There's a lot of cubes everywhere. And uh, they focus on Lothal over and over again to show that the Empire are uh, very oppressive. So you get this sort of great, like, a whipping boy of a planet that uh, that they get to bully for most of the season. Yeah, they just kind of take it. Yeah. And yet, for some reason, you know, despite the fact that it's Savannah, it feels very Tatooine. Which is another way to get us sucked in just a little bit more, because yeah. where does Star Wars begin? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, this was the uh, the t- a TV show that, uh, I think I've said this about Clo- Clone Wars in the past, that, you know, if I was a, a little kid, I would have loved Clone Wars, but... In 1987, I would have loved Rebels more than anything else in the whole world, apart from possibly the original trilogy. Uh, just in terms of, like, it went back to the exact period that I wanted it to go to, just sort of uh, to uh, flesh out the beginnings of the Rebellion. And speaking of children, this Lyra adores this show more than any Star Wars film. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's got her hooked in a way that the only thing that's really managed to get her in uh, before, and she never engaged with it emotionally, is Robot Chicken Star Wars. <laughs> I feel terrible that I showed her that, and she liked that before she liked the original trilogy. Oh, no. I don't know. That's got some funny gags in it. <laughs> There's some wonderful stuff in there. Like when Seba the Rodian turns up and he's got Lobot's headgear, and I said, uh, you know, who's got that headgear, Lyra? And she went, the disco robot? No, he's not a disco robot. It was just in watching <laughs> Thank you, Seth Green. <laughs> the most important thing that they've managed to do with uh, Rebels is strike the balance. They've mm. got the, in the, the way it looks, in the way it sounds, and in the way it feels with the characters. They've got just enough of what you love about the original trilogy, but not so much that it just feels like they're copying because that would have been a mistake as well if they'd gone too far in that direction then it would have just felt like they don't have any original ideas they're just trying to rekindle everybody's love for the originals yeah and they started actually with uh, uh, four shorts have you guys see, all, all seen them? no I don't think I've seen those I believe it or not just clicked over to one to see what I had missed because it was only three minutes long for the first one mm-hmm. and I- I'm watching it right now <laughs> They're all on YouTube if you guys uh, want to look. Uh, It's it's, it's not going to be anything really plot-related, Neil, so you're not missing out on anything uh, um, to begin with. But uh, if you wanted to watch any of them while uh, while we're doing this. Uh, But uh, they're... um they're all just a really great way of sort of like brief character pieces with a little bit of like this is the style of the world not necessarily the style of the show as it goes on but it's a great great way of sort of like pinning down a flag and going this is what to expect from Star Wars Rebels I'm so impressed with how sharp the visuals are for the Mm. show Um, honestly I don't have regular TV or anything that I would have been able to watch the show at home at the moment I've just been doing Netflix and the internet for a few years now and it's worked out just fine for me I keep up on everything I want to watch but now that I'm watching one of the shorts on YouTube it is so much sharper than the crappy streaming site I had been watching Rebels on yeah uh, it's it's amazing how much detail is in here in even these stylized uh, very colorful characters that we have here yeah uh, on the on the flip side uh, this is the first um, show that's prompted me to just 
bite the bullet and buy a season pass on iTunes with. Uh, I got it around Christmas time when there were only uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven episodes out. And it was, uh, it said volume one, which is a very non specific uh, uh, terrible phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're like, hang on, volume one? Does that mean season one? Or does that mean that there will be a season two, volume, sorry, season one, volume two? And Which then, would be dead expensive. Yes, they tend to do that, because I think they've done that with... Cora. The new, um, they did it with Cora. They did it Adventure with, Time, definitely. I know they also did it with... Falls. The, the The new Avengers one, and yeah, yeah. the Hulk one, because I was interested in looking at that, looked at the price and went, ah, no. <laughs> they will almost certainly do that with season two of Rebels. Is that a UK thing, or is that in America as well? I think that's as America well? as well, yeah. Right, okay. But, uh, yeah, no, we, uh, so, like, I waited and waited, weeks went by, I was like, this might be it. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, um, I think episode seven, Gathering Forces, so it was just six first, uh, just turned up out of nowhere, and um, it was like, oh, fantastic, right, so we're going to get one. Uh, any more coming out? And then it was suddenly, every Sunday on the dot of midnight 30, I'd get a new one, and I would just wait. And so every Sunday morning, like, uh, when we woke up, it's like, another Rebels! And it was actually, like, Saturday morning cartoons! Yeah, and which we haven't days. experienced in a long time, have we? Yeah, no. so I'm, I'm totally going to do that again next time. And I'm going to buy, buy the Blu-ray as well. This is, like... I, I never do this, but just for some reason, I needed this Star Wars fix now and not waiting for the Blu-ray and also not nabbing it online by some uh, uh, like, like uh, streaming service. Um, I just get the, the clarity, the sharpness, the gorgeous texture in HD. I mean, even though it is simplified from Clone Wars, there is so much vibrancy to this show. Uh, so I can recommend this in HD, whether you get it on Blu-ray or on, on iTunes. And also, you say simplified, but in all honesty, the uh, the detail that you've got in things like Sabine's artwork mm-hmm. um, and um, and the ships and that kind of thing. And it's Hera's so uh, leku, their head tails have got like uh, like tattoos on them. Yeah, Just markings. Yeah. yeah. And if you get in close to the skin, there's a lot of shading there as well. It's not just like... Uh, I mean, we have come on so, so far from the most obvious basic CG um, skin textures and shading. Reboot. I tend to compare everything back yeah, to The Incredibles. Uh, yeah. And honestly, I watched that movie again last year, and just the animation doesn't doesn't feel like it holds up anymore because we've come so far with so many oh, really? new shows. Yeah, it just it felt a little bit off. It was still just as great as it has been before, but... Because I've seen so much more hmm. animation, especially in the CG stuff, it it just it felt it felt a little dated. Possibly because that was the first Pixar one to do humans, mm-hmm. whereas A Bug's Life might not feel quite so uh, dated because obviously with the super deformed ants. Yes, uh, but maybe it will. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see when we get to the bugs, the Pixar episodes coming twenty eighteen, folks. <laughs> um, Right, so uh, yeah, the shorts are just four really short things. If you've not seen this show before, that's a really great, quick way to see uh, these online for free on YouTube. And if you've got the uh, DVD of Spark of Rebellion, those come on as well as a uh, as an extra. And um, Spark of Rebellion is a double length, like back to back pilot for this, basically. And uh, that's available for like three, four quid online. Um, you well, know, 99 on iTunes, because I'm looking at it right now. Oh, there you, go, yeah. you can get it on... I actually got it on iTunes in HD and then bought it on DVD as well so I could watch it on the big telly. Even, like, just... I, just, I, I am a fiend for this show now. Um, but uh, it starts off much more accessible and quite kid-friendly. 
and they're really subtle about the way they do this. It gets more and more complex and quite a lot darker as the show progresses, but they keep it on that kid level so that it's all still very understandable, and the kids are so engaged with the characters that all they really need to know is the emotions that are tied up with what's going on. Clone Wars, I felt, got very bogged down in trade disputes. You know, even in the later seasons, when I'm going back to the better episodes, there's lots of like sort of, well, we got to this senator and the senator's this blah, 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 and the ceasefire, this, that, and the other. Like, don't care. It's all Clone Wars shit. Don't care. But, yeah. Um, but this, uh, the, the, it's, it's very clear that there is, you know, there's a resistance going on and they're, they're just like part of what's beginning to emerge here. And I love the fact that, uh, well, we'll go, get more on this later, but there's ties to The Force Unleashed, which of course now doesn't exist in this universe, uh, with Sabine's artwork, you know, with that phoenix um, symbol that she uh, keeps uh, painting on things. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, the beginning uh, is it's just a really nice little uh, pilot level. Like, it does everything a pilot's supposed to do. It gives you the characters, doesn't go into too much depth, hints that there will be depth later on, I'm kind of sad that the Force Unleashed is gone because I, it, yeah. it'll never be gone for me because I love Sam Witwer and everything that Sam Witwer touches is gold as far as I'm concerned. Well, hang on, and I'd like to come to that point with Smallville. I would like to counter that counterpoint with, with Battlestar. No, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah, Battlestar. <laughs> Battlestar is great. No, Smallville was on its way out, you know, after season one. So, getting off the point here, folks. But um, <laughs> no, what, think about it, like. Um, because the Force Unleashed is gone, that was one of the few things that they couldn't really keep in canon because no, like it had gone. It was a video game. You can't really, like, unless they were going to make a movie of that video game. It's it, you know, if you're going to start from absolute scratch and then cherry pick, well, the Force Unleashed was kind of cool, and then you then you got to be like, well, there are a couple of books like, uh, you know, the maybe Thorn. Tales from Jabba's Palace or something like that, which were really neat. The Thorn um, trilogy, surely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's the thing that that then anchors you. Uh, so really, it had to be a complete clean out. No, no, I, I do agree with that because you can't be beholden to that mm. that extended universe, at all, <laughs> which is a shame because it's the uh, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's also a lot of drek. It, it would also be a, it would be a lot easier of a pill to swallow if the uh, one of the the three new books that have ever, ever emerged to do with Star Wars that are now actually canon. Uh, that we've uh, have actually read Star Wars New Dawn, which is about Kanan and Hera, was any good at all. <sighs> um, right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you, Neil, because uh, Alex hasn't read it. I've only read half of it and gave up halfway through. Sharon didn't get into it at all. I got so bored. What happens in that book? Because it's like it's what happened a few years before Rebels starts, and it's it's not spoilery, is it? Uh, no, because it, it, it's literally about the first meeting of Hera and, um, yeah. Kanan. Kanan. I don't know where his name fell out of my head. <laughs> Do you want to know what happened? What? Stuff. Okay. I can't Stuff tell you happens. much because <laughs> it, it's boring. Yeah. It's I, I, I finished it. It was boring. It, it was annoying because the characters were slightly, well, the, the characters were out of character, if that makes sense. They weren't yeah. quite behaving the way they were in Rebels, which you could get away with saying, oh, maybe it was because they were younger or they hadn't got that attachment. But slight spoilers, I suppose. I Me, mean, Hera is my favourite character of this series. Yeah. Me too. And Me too. Yeah. she's barely in the book. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating. I'm sure there'll be another Rebels book which actually deals with them once they've got Zeb on board and uh, Sabine. Yeah, I, I and hope Shopper. so. 
also the violence. Uh, considering this is aimed at kids, there's some particularly nasty violence that happens in that story. Yeah. There's that's... like a cyborg Grievous type guy who beats people to death with his bare metal hands. Oh, no, no, no. At one point, he pushes someone into a vat of acid. Oh, brilliant. Sorry, yeah. I missed that bit. And then the Star Wars Joker was born. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's horrible, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on quickly. We'll just say not essential reading. Can I just quick, quickly mention the fact I've also gone through Tarkin, oh, which right. is also canon now, and that yeah. suffers a similar problem of having certain story beats that feel completely out of place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I will say the comics. Um, uh, I've read the first uh, Star Wars comic there, that like the new uh, season of it, um, with uh, like basically dealing with stuff that happened between A New Hope and Empire. And uh, uh, that was great fun. And um, it's basically like Luke at the very, very end ends up in a hallway and Vader's at the other end firing up his lightsaber. And it's like, uh, you know, Ben, what do I do? Run, Luke. And it's like, oh, my God, I want to be in episode two. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm saving myself for the uh, for the big collection paperbacks when those come out. Mate, I have read yeah. the first Vader uh, issue and mm-hmm. that's it. Oh, is that good? It, oh, um, <laughs> Uh, That's not a word. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for more. Uh, but I'm waiting, waiting, waiting because I used to throw a lot of money at comic books, mm. uh, which is why I was on the Green Lantern podcast. Of course. And I don't, I don't do that anymore. I just, and why you had a Green Lantern car. I've still got the tattoo, obviously. <laughs> oh, dude, we were watching uh, Jedi Junkies the other day. Horrible, horrible documentary. Uh, I watched it's on that. Netflix. It was terrible, yes. There was that guy who had Anakin tattooed on himself. Ah, little Annie. <laughs> I bet he looks at That's that. That's a bombad tattoo. That's super bombad. Oh, speaking of which, watch out for this when we do the Jedi commentary because we have not yet recorded that yet, folks. Even though you're probably about to hear it in the next few weeks, um, <laughs> there's there's a, a, a I want to say a gran. It's not. It's a Doug. There's a Doug in Jabba's palace now that I never noticed before, just scurrying oh. across the floor. I don't know if that's an 04 edition or a 2011 edition, but ugh, a Doug. Anyway. Garazeb Zeb Aurelios, the character played by Steve Bloom. The, uh, the someone actually pointed out that it's like for Macquarie fans, this is the earliest Chewbacca that was drawn. Uh, but uh, if you're also a fan of the old vintage figures, the old uh, hammerhead figure with his sort of flared toes, he ended up with those toes. So he's got that kind of uh, like uh, gecko uh, feel to him. Um, yeah, you want to talk about Zeb? We're starting with the most shallow character who has the least development over the series. <laughs> but voiced by the awesome Steve Bloom. Yeah. He's your Jane character. He's your I don't give a damn about no one character. And, uh, uh, yeah, as Steve Bloom, who you folks may remember as uh, Amon and uh, Wolverine, you know, he's got this incredible voice. Uh, um, Spike Spiegel. Oh, yes, and Spike Spiegel. He also voices a lot of Imperials uh, throughout the, uh, the, the the show as well. They never really bring up clones. You notice that? It's all, like, it all, they all seem to be ensigns. They are, because there isn't any many left. And yeah, by the it, that's It's mentioned in the talking book, but not really interesting. Uh, yeah, he, he is the... Hmm. You're right, he is sort of Jane. Hmm. I don't really have much to say about him. He doesn't really go through much of a character arc. No. We just know he has a tragic, horrendous past. Yeah, most he, of the stuff's early on. Yeah, uh, and he's he's slightly aggressive, but he it's he's aggressive, but I care if you know what I'm. Is the best yeah. way I can describe it because mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. does care about Ezra and he does care about Chopper. 
Yeah, uh, it's partly he's, he's informed by the fact that in the uh, I think it's in the pilot actually he uh, he leaves Esbera behind when they're on a mission and uh, he gets like no, to be captured by Imperials because if he stays he, they're all going to get captured and um, so there's a little bit of guilt playing on him there but Ezra really never lets him forget it so that there's they they develop a big brother little brother like punchy, yeah punchy kind of mentality of like messing with each other it seems partly as as a kind of a way of like that then it's never spoken about but it helps as we really kind of bond with the ship because if he's fighting with someone and then they have to cool themselves down then Ezra can sort of feel a little bit closer to the crew if you know what I mean they're, they're not never really bitter about the fighting yeah I think there's an important element <clears throat> of um balance again within the crew mm. that, that if you have a character like that not everybody changes in in the course of the time that you know them not everybody is is looking for the higher calling and and the um, the personal growth and development not everybody gets on with you fantastically that doesn't make them not valuable and the fact that zeb is um you know that his his connection with ezra while it's very definitely there it is rough and there are times when he's tempted to leave him behind or um you know do something to save his own skin but in a way is that not the character that ezra is supposed to be moving away from Mm. and we need that to keep coming back to it so that you then you can see how much Ezra's changed. Yeah. Overall, because we don't see much of an arc with Zeb, I mean, we, we do kind of learn everything about him pretty early on. He seems to me to be the most cartoony of the group. Mm. Uh, even in comparison to True Chopper, the droid. Yeah. Uh, just because he has kind of the two moods. He's either kind of stoic or he's upset with something. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, actually. He's a stoic or he's upset, and that the upset sort of, sort of thing sort of goes into slight levels of distress where he's hiding the fact that he's upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much it. But, yeah. you know, it's a classic character. I, if we're going to base most of our analysis of there's a crew on this boat of some kind, we're going to do a lot of Firefly comparisons. And yeah. the reason that that's there is because, you know, Joss Whedon's a great storyteller, and he puts these, you know... He puts these archetypes together. He does a great job with them. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see that reflected for probably quite some time in all kinds of different media. Everybody needs a Jane, basically. Basically, yeah. You need somebody who doesn't give a damn, but really does. Because you need that that little bit of progress to then uh, to have, to have him uh, contrast with the rest of the uh, crew who seem to care a lot more. Um, C110P. Oh, I've just realized that. Good luck. No, C110P. Did you just read it with the dash? Yeah, with the dash is an H. (laughs) It's chop. Chopper. Uh, This is, I mean, like, one of the most immediately endearing characters. And I was so impressed with the fact that they had made him not at all like R2. It, it, it was kind of in the same way that Caesar is nothing like King Kong. It's like, yeah, just because they're uh, R2 droids or C1 droid in this case doesn't make, make make them anything alike in terms of personality. Ch- Chopper is rude and obstinate and stubborn. I mean, r 2 stubborn as well. But he's like directly... Um, <laughs> like He's kind of a D about it. Yeah, he's arrogant <laughs> and, and he pushes people and other droids around. 
uh, yeah, he's grumpy and he's surly and he, he basically shouts at every, uh, everyone in droid language. But at the same time, he has a little bit of pride about what he does. He likes to be recognized for things. And then he's, if you look at the very early drawings of R2 drawn by uh, Macquarie, he's got those two little arms and they're incredibly expressive. They pop out the side of Chopper's head and go, ow, 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 ow. And like they, they flail around in like they're great for expressing. I'm just so angry right now, or or just oh, you know, like. <laughs> it's just occurred to me, by the way, who he totally is. He's Han. If Han wasn't incredibly good looking and therefore allowed to get away with a shed load of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Would Han have kicked bad. someone out of the open ship door? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually you would. Yeah. Han has a very uh, close bond with Chewie, uh, and Chopper doesn't like to bond with anyone, but it's clear he has he's very fond, as fond as a droid can be, of the crew. So, uh, but again, he hides that much like, uh, uh, I want to say Jane there, much like Zeb. Um, so, so yeah, he's got this kind of disreputable thing about, about going on about him in that he seems quite so so blunt that you couldn't actually like him that much, but he's so funny that you like him. I'm trying to uh, work out what the uh, equivalent for him would be in Firefly. I was trying to think about there isn't a direct comparison. No. Which is good, because they shouldn't just do one-to-one comparisons. If, uh, yeah, if you know Firefly had a droid... Like Mal. Because Mal's more grumpy than Han is. I was going to say, you know if Firefly had a droid, it would be Chopper. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so he, he's a. I mean, it, the other thing is, of course, uh, spoiler for episode two. I think this is uh, droids in distress. You get to see R two as well, so you get them standing beside each other, and they really are nothing alike. I mean, Chopper's shorter and squatter and wider anyway for a start, but that's it simply in physicality. Uh, but in terms of the fact that they have different screen presences, and it's just it's wonderful seeing R two and Anthony Daniels coming back as three PO, which kind of harkens to this thing I've been pitching and pitching and pitching for years that why don't Pixar do a droids movie uh, starring those two that would be wonderful <laughs> uh, but I'd also now want a cameo from Chopper <laughs> I love the just the way that in the Star Wars universe they portray uh, droid personalities mm. and nine times out of ten the reason a droid has a personality is because they're not well maintained and they haven't they haven't been cleaned up or memory wiped in a long time. That's been the case with R2. That's been the case with Chopper. That's been the case with uh, even like Wedge Antilles droid in the extended universe. He just, he just loves that droid and they don't mess with him. Yeah. And that, I mean, basically that then gives them experience. And ultimately a lot of experience can include feeling like you're a little bit broken inside. Or not Wedge. Who is it? Uh, never mind. I'm not going to think of the name. Do you mean Dash Rendar's droid? No, it's my freaking favorite character in the EU, and I just forgot his name. Do you mean Proxy from... Uh, Thank uh, you, Alex. No, it's not the Proxy. Then uh, someday I will pilot, he turned into a Jedi. I Jedi. He was the, in the I oh, Jedi. Oh, I know. Oh, you know that. oh, now you have to say that, now it's going to bug me. I know. Okay, well... Corrin Horn. His name is Corrin Thank Horn. You. Corrin's droid Whistler. <laughs> uh, like, he had to shake people off of giving that droid a memory wipe because it just works the way he does best chopper episode that i can uh, find for in terms of uh, characterization rebel resolve where they have to paint him black this is nearer to the end <laughs> that uh, it's awesome. for a, uh, no spoilers as to what they're doing but it's for a covert mission and uh you, you worry about it but at the same time he's so cool about what he's doing he just barges into the imperial uh uh 
like cockpit like security area the security. yeah this is right i'm just gonna start stealing important files i'm like that joint shouldn't be stealing important files I'm like this is stealing important files just he's just so like intent to do what it, he's he's very he has no airs and graces about him and he's you know people accept it What's the term? Like he has no soft edges to him in terms of like there's nothing diplomatic about him at all. He just he's a blunt instrument. He will do what he has to do quickly and uh, you know moan at you if you try to get in his way. Chopper's a professional. Mm. But like I said before, <laughs> when when he accomplishes something, he looks around for some kind of credit. He he wants to be um, uh, praised effectively and, and and seen as a uh, valid member of the crew. One a, a lovely affectation he has. He's got this sort of squeaky little wheel on the front that seems like it's been taken off a cabinet or something, like just to <laughs> just to repair him. Like it seems like he should probably be given a proper R two foot, but he just seems to have this sort of like rusty old wheel knocked on the front instead. He does that whole wanting recognition thing and wanting to um, to get the the praise for what he does. It's actually quite an interesting way of looking at how droids are treated um, in this universe because a lot of the, particularly by the Empire, because a lot of the reasons that Chopper can go where he does and do the things he does and get away with the things he does is that the Empire don't recognise him as an individual entity. They see him as a possession, yeah. as a, a piece of a piece of kit, but within the crew at least by Hera at least he is seen as as much one of them as any of the others are yeah uh, it's actually very important that he's quite isolated and solitary as well because R2's been characterised since forever as being uh, the counterpart of C-3PO. Uh, he's even described literally in those terms. Uh, and so he comes as, as part uh, of a two-part unit. Chopper is his own man and so he doesn't have another creature or droid or person around to translate what he's saying. So it's very much like, you know, this is what Chopper's doing and his the rest of the crew are his other half, as it were. Sharon, you said that uh, droids, as regards to Star Wars, are kind of their own species. I think it does depend on the droid, um, but the way AI seems to have developed in the Star Wars universe, at least if they're not memory wiped and um, kind of restored to factory settings, mm. they acquire a personality and they they um if they're allowed to learn i mean i think one of the yeah one of the distinctions between um a, a true or i suppose organic intelligence and what a, what i would perceive as artificial intelligence is that artificial intelligence has to be programmed to respond in a certain way so if this happens then it will respond in x if that's appropriate or y if that's more appropriate given the circumstances a more organic intelligence is something that can make its own decisions about which subroutine it's going to run mm. and once you get into that stage then you're starting to look at things like self-awareness and there are an awful lot of droids not all of them but there are a lot of droids who seem to have that self-awareness and ability to learn that kind of makes them beings in their own right they're really difficult to 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 wrap your head around at some points in the in the universe in general uh, I specifically remember one of the early, earlier in the timeline, extended universe books, uh, where Luke is stranded on some ship somewhere and he's injured, and three PO is with him, and there is a chapter or two 
told from 3PO's point of view. Mm-hmm. And it was nice. really, really weird to be in a droid's head. And that author's interpretation was was something else. Because 3PO was kind of just concerned about Luke having feelings more than what those feelings were. And there's just this comprehensive level that 3PO just didn't get how organics dealt with that kind of stuff. It was really interesting. Sabine Wren, our resident Mandalorian, uh, 16-year-old girl, object of uh, uh, Ezra's affections, but also, um, and we watched Big Hero 6 earlier today, uh, Disney are definitely pushing the, um, you know, you can be a girl who wears pink uh, and, you know, has a handbag and be a girly girl. And you can also still take part in the action. Or you mm-hmm. can be a tomboyish girl who might also want to wear pink and orange and purple and checkers. And uh, and basically, like just to show the sort of a rough and tumble kind of girl as a, as a very valid option um, in a lot of new media. And it's, I mean, it's certainly not new, but it is absolutely great to see one of the most action-ready uh, characters in this is female. And uh, Sabine's one of my favorite characters as well, They're to the point where uh, they, uh, Lego released a Sabine figure with uh, a couple of um, speeder bikes. And it's like, she doesn't have her helmet. That's not even Sabine. That's not necessarily true because obviously she's not defined by her heritage. She's not defined by her culture. But she's very much... Um, it's a very striking image to actually have a female Mandalorian who's just sporting some of the chest armor and, and the, the helmet and yet being her own person. And she's not sort of spouting off about the Mandalorian culture. In fact, I don't think she even mentioned that word. She doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I like that about her because she is different. She she wears the armor. She knows how to use the weapons. Mm. But it's not about that. She's more interested in her art. Yeah. And again, it's, it's actually kind of risky for Disney to be pushing graffiti as a form of art because ultimately they could then <laughs> be accused of, hey, because of you, these kids defaced my shop. Yeah, but isn't it beautiful? <laughs> no! And suddenly Disney is somehow uh, endorsing um, uh, street art. I've never really looked at it that way, especially you put it that way. Just, but yeah. It's just it's an, ex- an expression of her character. She is this creative character. Yes, she's a... Well, she when she needs to be a badass, and I will not lie, she is, mm. but she's also creative, and she's not about the destruction. She's more... She's more... Inter- she does sort of the badass stuff because she needs to that's the life that they're in but her passion is the creative side yeah specifically the colours I think she does have that um, uh, there's a a particular type of of artistic bent which is towards um, chaos being creative in its own right yeah creation through destruction and remodelling the world exactly and I love that she has those paint bombs hmm because I mean, she has all of these little grenade things that you never quite know what they're going to do until she throws them. Um, but she has some She's that Wiley specifically, Kit. well, yeah, and Wily Cat. Um, but no, no, Wily Cat was a whiny little git. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but Wily Cat's these... more like it. <laughs> she's got these grenades that that splash these uh, the paint all over the place, and even the ones that are sort of smoke bombs tend to be very colourful smoke bombs, and uh, the explosions that her um, her uh, devices create tend to be very colourful, and it seems obvious that she puts. Um, 
chemicals in them deliberately to make them visually appealing, even though nobody's really going to see them except her and the other people who are running in terror from whatever devastation <laughs> she's just created. Uh, she doesn't really get explored that much in the series. I'm hoping to see a lot more of her later, especially regards her origin. Uh, but uh, her, the best episode for her is actually um, Out of Darkness, the one where she's grappling with uh, Hera regarding you have to trust me, and Hera really... I mean, she basically, and it ends up with kind of, look, I am party to shit you must not know about. I do trust you, but this is, you know, yeah, I trust you more than most, but there are levels. I think she has said a couple of things that hint at the idea uh, that her background and her origins and her culture are something that she has forcibly rejected. Yeah. She feels a little bit, not all the way, but there are some echoes of Zoe in her from Firefly. A little, yeah. In just in her readiness to, yes, in order in her readiness to to respond and react when things need to get done. Mm. Uh, but there's that whole other side of her that we we see, which is the creative creativity, that it really makes her her own character. And I like that. Yeah. Um, before we go on to some of the other uh, characters, because they that involves going deeper in some spoilers, uh, we can talk about Agent Callus. And uh, this is the, the the main Imperial guy who does all the stalking around. For, the, say, the first half of the series, he's the main threat before the Inquisitor comes in. And uh, so he is, uh, he is Imperial pomposity uh, personified. And, and so he's, he's very posh. He's very British. Uh, but he's, he's also Mr. got this kind chaps. of... Yeah, he's got this dangerous zeal as well. Like, he, he wants to succeed, and uh, it's it's almost like... It's frightening the level of um, how far he's like liable to go with that. There is, however, the possibility that his character could go another way, maybe later in the uh, the, the series. It ends without him being that. There's not massive development of his character, so he's still enough of a blank slate that they could actually start deepening him. Mm, I I think he's. Uh as you say, we haven't seen nearly enough of him. Mm. Uh, there's lots more that they can do with him mm. that's been in the way he's reacted to things thus far has kind of been subtly hinted at, but um, it, it would be very intriguing to see where they take him. And I mean, the way he is delivered, David Oyelowo does a fantastic mm. job with him. As you say, he's got this, there's this pompousness about him, but he's also incredibly efficient. Mm. Um, and, and that's the other thing, having a uh, an antagonist who is not incompetent with it is very important because that immediately makes your heroes less cool. Didn't uh, David Ayaloa, he played Jacobs in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, didn't he also play um, MLK in Selma? He did indeed, yes. Wow. Yeah. So very he's talented. That ass. ability to stand and declaim, um, hmm. he has in spades. It's really that fantastic. level of quality of voice talent in this show. I mean, I. It's it's Andrea Romano levels of uh, voice directing as well. There's, there's very few times when I'm, uh, I, I found myself thinking that that was delivered in like you know that was the best take you got. Uh, I can't none really stick out. There's a level of uh, commitment from uh, from all of the uh, actors involved that it feels like they're really into the project. I mean, I've seen enough um, animated shows where they just they're just phoning it in, sometimes literally. While we're on the manner of the the actors themselves, I recently listened to... I've been listening to my voiceover hero, Rob Paulson's podcast Mm. uh, called Talkin' Tunes, Mm -hmm. uh, which is free. You can download that wherever you get your podcasts. And he had most of the cast of Rebels on one one episode. They do a live show 
at the um, at the improv in Los Angeles and they just kind of hang out on the stage and they pass the microphones around and they and they just talk tunes with people. They talk voiceover and they talk about them. And it sounded to me like and you guys should definitely listen to that episode. I will. But it sounded to me like everybody in the cast they understood that Star Wars means something to a lot of people and so they seem to be taking it very seriously. Yeah. And yet it's great fun as well. It's, it's, it it's is. got a lightness of tone and humor, and it's got sort of great patter going back and forth. It's not like split your sides <clears> funny. <throat> it's not uh, got Firefly levels of quotability, but it's definitely got that kind of bazing to it. Uh, um, best example, it, it feels most similar to uh, Green Lantern, the animated series. It's got that flow to it. Yeah, it's really tight. Yeah, it's t- that's a good way of putting it, tight. It's not all these sort of flabby back and forth. So there are sort of episodes which feel, um, I don't want to say filler, but they're lighter and they're much more sort of like, you know, let's just play around in the world for a while, shall we? We've got a bit of time. Uh, the one where they're sent off to find Melu on fruit, for example. I think mm-hmm. I should remember in uh, the Rebel Roundtable podcast, they were like, right, that's just what Dave Filoni does when he needs to, uh, two characters to, to end up getting into scrapes, just sends them off to get some fruit. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's a good point. But uh, it, that, that episode, I mean, there is a sort of a payoff regarding the TIE fighter there. But um, I think, frankly, Star Wars at this stage could do with a little playful because Clone Wars is most of the time is pretty deadly serious, which is weird when you consider how very, very kiddy it is. You've got to think about pacing as well. If you have something that you intend to make long term, you can't cram every single episode with massive significance because people would get exhausted with it very quickly. But there is a confidence to the deeper episodes where they're like, right, now pay attention, folks. This one's going to be one where we're actually going to scratch below the surface. Mm. And I think there's also there's a little bit of a recognition there of the the whole uh, this is not a Saturday morning cartoon in the sense that, that while there will be people who absorb it once a week as it comes out, there will also be people who get it on Blu-ray and marathon their way through it. And you mm. need to give those people a little bit of up and down. Oh, it bears up to marathoning, folks. We've, we've done that several times now, actually. Um, just to sort of w- watch it in blocks. It's, it's, it just, they slip down a treat, I've got to say. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not yet at Avatar levels, and it's rare that I will say this has the potential to reach Avatar levels. It, it might not, but ultimately, this has the backing of an of a enormous universe of fiction behind it that Avatar had to basically start from scratch. So, we shall see. But, There's uh, a lot of playground to play in if they want to. Yeah, there is. You've been talking, and you know what? This actually started to more remind me of mm, what the first two seasons of Justice League. Yep, yep, it does. Mm. Could definitely expand outwards and in Rebels. That's a large and encompassing theme. It is. Uh, it's just we're talking how the voice cast all seems right. The dialogue's tight. This doesn't seem to be much waste of motion. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking. Sounds like Justice League, the first those first two seasons. It's all right. There was a few nap episodes in there, but I can kind of see it. It's it's good. And plus, you you are about giving them this universe to play in. That's what they did with that series. That's what they're doing with this series. Well, they're definitely keeping more fun in there. I think. One last thing I want to talk about before we start going into spoiler territory, folks, and we're we're getting to the the, the safety point, um, and that's the vehicles. Because while the characters are fantastic, the vehicles are characters in and of themselves. So you've, mm-hmm. got, you've got your TIE fighters, which are very prevalent. Uh, which in make the, the proper noise. Series, which make the proper noise. They fly around about right, and they, they're, they're everywhere, and they're threatening. And at the same time, they're 
they, they've got this kind of um, like you love seeing them. Like if you're into Star Wars, you just relish every moment that these Tie Fighters are on screen. I mean, you um, just hear the sound and mm. oh, thank you. It just, just makes you so oh, it's exciting. Production value for this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there's I have also an app that lets me do that for when I play X-Wing the tabletop game. There's also the ATDP which is uh, ver- uh, like a predecessor of the ATST, the Scout Walker. So it's got that same squelching sort of uh, the sound of its legs walking. Uh, the the tie advance is is in there at least twice as well. Uh, and uh, one of the most gratifying was the Imperial Troop Transport. Now, this was a a, a, ve- like a, a a quick vehicle designed by Kenner just to sort of like, you know, we, we need a few more vehicles for our, uh, I think it was for the Empire line. Um, and it was actually designed quickly in a few, uh, like, like, like 20 minutes by uh, Joe Johnston, the guy who went on to direct uh, Jurassic Park 3 and also Captain America the First Avenger. So, uh, yeah, he was actually, uh, uh, um, uh, he worked on Star Wars, so he was one of the uh, concept designers. And it's that, it's that like, big grey brick that you sort of fit Stormtroopers in the side of. And it's got little red buttons on the original toy where you press them and C-3PO goes, R2-D2, where are you? And that turned up in Rebels. I was just <laughs> so happy to see it. I was like, I have missed you. So there's that. And then there's the uh, Imperial Freighter, which is another thing. Like, this looks like something that could have existed in Star Wars, just off to the side. That's the one that they end up flying around near, especially near the end. Um, and then there's the ghost. <laughs> this is the Falcon. This oh. is Serenity. This is their Carillion freighter. And I, we haven't yet had episodes as to how Hera came across it. That's not in the book, is it? No, of course. She already has it in the book. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but we, we need that. And I'm assuming we'll be getting that in, uh, in, in season two. But uh, yeah, it's, it's got that same kind of feel of this is our home. This is our flying house that we, uh, you know, uh, visit Lothal 62 times with. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it, it's got soul to it. It's just enough looking like the Falcon that, it, you know, it, it, it evokes just the right memories. And it also looks kind of like a, a prototype version of the Falcon, but it's distinct enough to not just seem like the Falcon. And it has the super cool detachable thing. The Phantom. Yup. Yep. Which could just have been a, 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 a ploy by Lego to sell two kits when they could just sell one. But it's a really awesome ploy because I love those detachable ships that are like, you, you put them together, it's awesome. You go with, you start with one, you know, mm. transport kind of a ship that's it's got some guns on it. And then, oh, you're in trouble. Oh, now you have twice as many ships to fight the bad guys with. That's so cool. In all seriousness, that's one thing Star Wars has always been able to do really well, which is to have ships that like, oh, oh, you like this X-Wing? Do you know why it's called an X-Wing? Bajow! Lock S4's in attack position. Oh my god, it does a thing. And it's not even that much of a thing, but it's enough that it's in space that, like, that's cool. And so, yes. similarly with the Phantom of the Ghost. Still no explanation why the B-Wing, though. It's not a B, really. It's T. <laughs> And it's useless. With a lump on the end. Sweet ships, though. I'm hurt! (laughs) That that guy was a Y-Wing. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's like all of these vehicles are very prevalent throughout the series, and they are evocative over and over again, because they're heavily weighted towards them, of an Imperial presence, which is a really great way of of saying... There's speeder bikes in there, a lot of speeder bikes. 
Uh, and they make Speeder bikes are cool. Exactly the right noise. Uh, and it's a great way of saying, look, this is imperial-dominated space. They, uh, they call the shots, they run the show. Anyone who steps out of line is a rebel. And, and that thus sets your, uh, your characters up. Right, so I think after this point, we're going to be starting to talk about the Inquisitor. And, and in all seriousness, this is stuff you don't want to know unless you started watching it. Just suffice to say, folks, he's terrifying. So uh, we're going to play some music now, and then we'll be back after the break with Hello, Hello to Jason, to Jason Isaacs. <laughs> <laughs> This is part two of the Star Wars Rebels podcast. Now, this one's spoilerific, and we're going to be going into discussion on everything that happens all the way up to the last episode in this first series. Oh, and on that note, everyone who keeps asking me on Twitter, are you looking forward to season two? Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward to season two. Haven't seen a single episode yet. Really want to. Yes, I saw the trailer. Yes, it excited me in my downstairs area. Very, very hard to... Well, you can't, you can't see it in this country. It's not on iTunes. It's not on uh, Amazon uh, video streaming. There's no DVDs. There's no Blu-rays yet. Got to wait for the rest of the year until the Blu-ray comes out. It sucks. But yeah, this is pretty much my most eagerly anticipated Blu-ray purchase of the year, I think. Maybe, maybe after The Force Awakens. This episode is brought to you by Loot Crate, the ideal crate for all your loot... I'm kidding. Again... We are not a sponsored podcast. We are kept alive by you guys on Patreon. If you love the shows, come see us on Patreon. There's loads of goodies in there. I know nothing of a larger rebellion. And if I did, I'd rather give my life than tell you. Quite admirable, Jedi. Kanan is family, and we've all lost enough family to the Empire. You need to decide now, in or out. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. This is Fulcrum. The transport you stole will get us close to Tarkin's Star Destroyer. At last, a fight worthy of my time. No! Right, the Inquisitor, the corduroy-faced man. Um, what's the actual? Uh, is there a, is there a species for this guy? It's the one that when they uh, when it's an Utapuan. I believe it's the Needs Vasilonian. Brilliant. Need some lotion. Tons. It's there you go. <laughs> when uh, Obi Wan in Episode Three goes to Utapu and meets Bruce Spence from Mad Max, and he goes, "Really, you're not. Uh, you've really turned up at a wrong time here." And he's looking for Grievous, the guy with the corduroy face, who's actually quite benevolent. There um, looks terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Looks yeah, like Nosferatu, and um, obviously these guys were like, "I love the look on this. Let's bring this back." And suddenly, 
you've got the Inquisitor, who when, when you see him just on his own, grinning and normal, level, you're like, oh, he looks scary. But what's really scary about him is how incredibly posh and calm and cavalier he is for most of the way through. He's chilling. He's um, Lucius Malfoy, but capable of extreme horrific acts of violence. And seemingly with no conscience as well. That's the other thing yeah. about uh, Lucius is that you can, you see it building in him that he knows when he's done the wrong thing and he starts to uh, regret it. Uh, the Inquisitor never regrets a thing. Mm-hmm. He has his orders and he goes. Which technically isn't a very complex villain, but ultimately we're working with the Sith here, and what they're doing is they've gone for the absolute blackest evil with the reddest eyes and the scariest, like, um, he's never going to stop walk about him. He's like a Terminator, but a posh Terminator. Um, And a posh Terminator. There's an image. Yeah, totally is. I'll be back. But but yeah, he's, he's, he's got that presence going. I mean, he's effectively just your standard Imperial officer, but capable of incredible acts of, um, as I said, violence, but just like, like he, he, he could just shoot you with a blaster, but it's, it's, it's the fact that he, like, he's Darth Maul with a personality. And, yeah, and he I'm, has a command and presence over the Force, yeah. and it's super intimidating. Uh, he, he actually, he's, he's got more in common with Darth Tyrannus in terms of personality. What they've done is they've fused the two together, maybe with a little bit of Grievous, and uh, and they've gone, right, okay, here is what went wrong in those prequels. They haven't said that outright, but they've looked at what went wrong, and have, they've gone, right, how do we make the, the characteristics of these characters uh, into a stalking presence, but not just bring the three aspects of Darth Vader that they represent and just deliver Darth Vader? So yeah, he has this. Um, for a start, I, I I didn't like his lightsaber when I saw it in toy form. But suddenly, when he's fighting with it and it looks like just a cavalier's saber, suddenly it seems perfectly fitting for him. And then you know when it goes double double bladed and spins around, um, and the fact that it's mechanically assisted to do that, but that he's also incredibly deft with it as well. It's sort of it's, it's just a combination of uh, that he's a little bit of a cheat, but he's also incredibly talented, kind of like Darth Vader. Also, when he uh, keeps it on his back, it looks like he's got a Tron data disc. Yeah, and this is like this is some of the chilling, dark moments of the series. Like when they like Lyra actually gasped when he killed those Imperial agents. It was like, oh my gosh, I screamed yeah. when that happened. Screamed? <laughs> I I shouted out loud, and I looked at my wife and I said, "This is a kids show. Yep. What just happened?" I think. Yeah, <laughs> it is a bit of a. Oh, right. Uh-huh. I would say kid accessible show, but it'd be, yeah. if it was a, in the BBFC, it would be pushing that you, let me say. I mean, granted, it was super implied. We didn't see any missing heads or anything, mm. but you you put it together. Yeah. And I think that's the best part of that scene was that they, it lets you put that information together in your head and go, oh, did he really just do that? And, and he was doing that under orders. That wasn't his idea. Yeah. And I like you forget about like him kill, killing a bunch of Imperials in part of the Jedi. I mean, it's all technically a dream in Ezra's head. He murders Sabine. He murders Hera and Zeb. Uh, it's 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 a mirage that's basically what's the worst thing you can imagine, Ezra. But we had to hear it. It's terrible. Again, yeah. that's that's done in a very subtle way, though. You see a shadow and you see feet yeah. behind a, a bench. That's it. That's you all you see. You don't have to rub our faces in the horror. Exactly, and they handle that kind of thing with a uh, a deftness of touch that you very rarely see yeah. anywhere, frankly. 
Yeah. I mean, they don't even do that sort of stuff in uh, uh, in Avatar. Not yeah, it, it it seems like in most kids' shows they they just don't do it. Yeah, it, it's that, too horrific. If something like that has to happen. It just happens totally off screen. We we don't, you know, it might happen, but we're not going to do anything that would prompt people to think um, in that direction yeah. too much. They yeah, can't... I can only think of one implied death in that show anyway, and even later they still, <laughs> even in the show later, people questioned it. Oh, which was that death? That would be Jet. Oh, right, of course, Jet. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're forgetting was, Admiral yeah. Zhao, played by Jason Isaacs, <laughs> who was murdered by that uh, water hit squad in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, that means that basically Jason Isaacs has menaced uh, the Avatar, um, the, the crew of the Ghost in Star Wars, and Harry Potter. And yes. the Patriot. And the Patriot. He menaced him. <laughs> And they, he was a dirty, nasty character in that movie. He was, a, he was amazing. I love Jason. I was ashamed to be British, honestly. And Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, and Peter Pan oh, and as Peter well. Pan. He's just ticking him off his list at this stage. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm informed by Neil that uh, the correct species for the folks from pa- Otapu is Pawan. So yeah, that's if you've got a corduroy face, that's what you are. But yeah, like I said, he's got this. Um, <laughs> he looks like Nosferatu, the uh, the the original guy, and um, it's. Like, if he was a, yes, master, like a, a monster-type t- person, that would be scary. But it's the fact that he's so, yes, well, certainly, uh, so coldly. Like, he's he's Tarkin, but, again, able to commit these atrocities by hand, which... Well, and if he yeah. didn't speak as clearly and, and succinctly as mm. he did, he would feel like a cartoony monster. Yeah. He would feel like, you know, that somebody handed Igor a lightsaber. And yeah. that's not scary. That's like kind of sad actually but he's more but refined he's the calculated. officer you know which is like going back to what we've uh, said about the the imperials being characterized as the sort of the british officers and uh, of course you know we have our own history soaked in blood which uh, uh, required some men to be able to just switch themselves off like this and that actually led to a lot of what I was uh, talking to Sharon earlier today about um, the the force being actually a little bit more complex than uh, was originally pitched in uh, in any of the uh, movies in terms of the fact that technically um, what the Inquisitor seems to be channeling here isn't specifically hatred. It's just this coldness. It's this ability to not feel anything about what he's doing. It, it, it actually does say he is not a Sith. Ah, where does that say that? It's uh, on Wikipedia. It says he is not a Sith. Nice. So it is implied that Vader is his master. In fact, as I understand it, that um, like in an extended version of uh, uh, Spark of Rebellion, he's like bowing down to a hologram of Vader, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So hang on, how does that work at the at the end? That's interesting. I mean, yeah, Callus talks user. to the hologram of the uh, Inquisitor, and the Inquisitor goes, "Right, that's me off." And then it cuts to the Inquisitor, who turns around, kneels down, and then bows to a hologram of Vader. And then Vader turns around and bows to a hologram of Palpatine. What's an aluminum falcon? And Palpatine bows to no one. Brilliant. <laughs> sorry, Neil, I interrupted you there. He's not a Sith. What else? Yeah, tell me more about that, Neil. Uh, sorry. <laughs> He's just, just a really bad guy. <laughs> I, just made me I remember in the book, somewhere along the line there, it actually said that there's sort of a third 
type of well Jedi they're referred to as sort of like the grey Jedi would they be anything like the Night Sisters this was a res- re- uh, it gone into over and over again in uh, uh, yeah, Clone Wars planet with the Red mm. um, they have very strong Dent- force but they're nothing to do with the Sith or the Jedi yeah it could very well be along those lines as well the fact that what we've seen so far in this universe is sort of like the paladins and the, the, the death knights, if you will. You've got the the extreme good in the Jedi, the extreme bad in the Sith. Well, not everything's black and white. Oh, wouldn't it be? Oh, this is just speculative, but for episode seven for it to be, you think it was all just Jedi and Sith. Boogah! And then, like, huge amounts of force power start coming out. It's like, yeah, we said balance of the force, but we didn't say shit about Jedi. <laughs> Well, this is like what I was saying earlier about the idea that the um, what the Jedi have, uh, and this is prequel stuff, so feel free to disregard if you choose. Um, no, but what's the only stuff that's canon? The uh, what the Jedi Order um, kind of pushed the idea of of the Force being leaves out massive amounts of what the Force is. Yes, the Sith embrace only the dark side, but Yoda and Obi-Wan only ever refer to it as the Force, which technically should be the entire spectrum of everything that that... um, Neutral is not the right word, but a force of nature does not have good and evil. It has destructive, if you use it that way, but it's not. it doesn't seek out good and bad things to do. It's entirely to do with how it's used. And the Jedi in the temple have become rather complacent about how they deal with that and how they interact with that. And their response to the Sith, who are embracing only the the, uh, darker elements of it, is to pretend they don't exist. Well, that's brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) I'll tell you this, nobody ever defeated the Shadow by ignoring it. In fact, the whole point of stories that follow those lines is that the more you ignore the shadow the stronger it gets right so the next bit on one of the uh, list would be cameos <gasps> galore right oh, wait, folks i'm gonna go ahead and say this right now uh, if spoilers? spoilers you are now in total spoiler territory we're already in there we're talking about the inquisitor but my god we're in spoiler territory now so basically from this point onwards we're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna be <laughs> Telling you everyone who's in it, so you you just go away unless you've seen it, in which case stick around. Unless you just you don't mind it being spoiled for you, in which case stick around because this might make you go. You know what? That seals the deal. First off, uh, James Arnold Taylor as the voice of Obi Wan Kenobi comes back to deliver his message about don't go back to the Jedi Temple. That time is past. He means the prequels. It's great. Obi Wan Kenobi. Obi Wan Kenobi. I'm pleased to meet you. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's a wonderful way of sort of like to bring that in uh, to the series. I, I, Ezra's surname being Bridger is not a mistake either. <laughs> that's not coincidental. <laughs> no, seriously. Skywalker. Oh, that's a guy who's going to ascend to the stars and become bigger than he is. Yeah. Oh, Bridger, we're going to fix this gap right here. Han Solo, <laughs> he works alone, except he's always with a Wookiee. That doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, right, so Bail Organa is also in here, played by, was it, um, I want to say Jimmy Smith, but I think he was definitely not. It's not, it's um, Phil Lamar, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, because they wanted to get someone that they could get in constantly, but uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, Bail Organa. Again, um, because we never actually saw him in the original trilogy, um, 
feels kind of prequel related, but at the same time, because he's so closely linked with Princess Leia, that's fine because he was yeah. one of the again. This is like re- replaying the the key issues of uh, Force Unleashed. So you've got like originally in that um, it was Bail, Bail Organa was starting the rebellion along with Mon Mothma, Garmbel Iblis, and yes. General Dan Jan Dodonna. Is anyone else? That's pretty much the group, and it still freaks me out because that's such uh, ingrained in my memory of the Star Wars universe, and I'm still getting used to the idea of kind of separating that and putting up a bridge or a barrier and saying, oh, I guess that didn't technically happen unless we see it in something new. Well, we could, you know, there's, there's potential for, for elements of that to come in. They wouldn't not do Mon Mothma in, in this. I think um, she's a... Well, for a start, just more female characters. Already this... Like in the first forty-four minute episode, you get more um, like females talking to each other than you do in the entire Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, but I think as well. Breaking my heart. Uh, No, stop talking about the walking womb. (laughs) But the um, there is an important element of having some aspects of the prequels in there because it shows that they're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're not just going to go, you know what? We're just going to pretend all of that didn't happen because the more you ignore the shadow, the stronger it will become. If you embrace it, take the parts which are useful and just, you know, discard the bits that aren't, then it makes you stronger. Isn't that what Baz Luhrmann said about nostalgia? Quite possibly. <laughs> Which is another way of saying everything to do with Star Wars Rebels. With the presence of Bail Organa, I was like, right, Fulcrum is Princess Leia. Fulcrum is Princess Leia. That's going to be the reveal at the end. It'll be like, Princess Leia, woo! Just like in uh, The Force Unleashed. I'm nope, so glad I was wrong. We'll no, talk about that better. at the very, very, very end, because you don't want to know this until later. Uh, but yeah, R2 and 3PO, as I mentioned before, wonderful welcome addition, and so happy that Anthony Daniels is uh, is is happy to be back in the role. Not just happy to be back, he's always there. We mentioned it in the uh, um, uh, commentaries. He's very game for uh, lending his voice to Star Wars-related things. Yep. Yeah. As is Mr. Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams is Lando Calrissian in Idiot's What Array. have we here? Uh, the only, like, the really... I mean, it wasn't really unpleasant, but the bit of that episode that just makes my flesh crawl is when he starts smarming up to Sabine. It's like, oh, I'm <laughs> a big connoisseur of your art. And you're like, oh, dude, she's 16! <laughs> Lando was younger then. Lando was younger then. We must it's okay. space. Even though yeah, I see still. a heavenly body. <laughs> <laughs> It's Lando. I would that you know that was. Oh, it's those exactly. episodes. I don't dispute that. No. <laughs> I'm actually really the... happy with this deal. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Leia. I'm Lando Calrissian. Yeah, it is. It's is awesome. is Sabine's age explicitly stated? Because I have to admit, I didn't take her as that young. I, know I didn't know she was. 16. She's only like two years older than. I mean, Ezra's fifteen. Like he might even just be. Oh, hang on. No, he was born. Yeah, he is 15. He turns 15 in this episode because it's his birthday. He was born on the day Order 66 was launched. Right. And he does say he was seven when he was left alone and he's looked after himself for eight years. Yeah. that means. So if she's she's a couple of years older than him, then that makes her 17, 18. Yeah. Okay. Which only makes that slightly less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get shipped off to space prison. They'll put me in the space mines of Kessel. Now he's becoming Zap Brannigan. They'll put me in the space mines of Kessel. 
<laughs> yeah, show them the red light. Lobot, get me my corset. Making <laughs> <laughs> copies. Okay. Um, oh. But it was wonderful to see Lando. It was. Uh, and the, I love the power games are going back and forth. And like, I'm going to hide this from you because I'm going to have one over you. Like, everyone's having ev- everyone over throughout the whole episode until everyone sort of gets away with what they need. Sort of. <laughs> sort of, yeah. But there's that ki- great kind of let's hope that Lando comes back kind of thing. He's oh, also yes. he's wearing a medallion this size of a hubcap underneath his open shirt, which is like a great little... like uh, The... Um, uh, Gold Travis has this kind of like orange, um, uh, like little like vest singlet type thing, which kind of, both of these things harken back to seventies fashions. So it's kind of like, okay, hang on, Star Wars was actually set in the seventies in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> they were going through their seventies at that point, which kind of like the fashions work at that stage. Oh, he fell off his chair. <laughs> Sorry. My bad. Uh, Mr. Tarkin turns up as well. Uh, Governor Tarkin. That was a, a, a one. Like, not exactly wonderful, but it was just really gratifying to see them just like, like you know, doing P- uh, Peter Cushing proud with that uh, that version of him. It's very Peter Cushing. Yeah. I was so happy. Yeah. I made some some squealing noises when I realized it was Tarkin. I was very excited. I mean, there's enough animated versions of uh, both of them now to do a Peter Cushing Christopher Lee Dracula reunion. <laughs> just, just on that note, because I read Tarkin, there is actually parts of that book that do involve Tarkin and Count Dooku. Nice. You don't know how many, how long I've spent sharpening the steak, Count Dooku. <laughs> it, it's, 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 uh, it's just nice there because you know that Christopher Lee. Of course, yeah. A cushion book, yeah. Right, now, but, yeah. now we're getting into the really juicy cameos in Path of the Jedi. Folks, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Oh, man. Oh, Yoda, played I'm by so Frank Oz. Specifically played by Frank Oz. I mean, Tom Kane. Is it Tom Kane? That sounds right. From Clone Wars, right? Yeah. Uh, hang on. Uh, Tom Kane, Yoda... Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Tom Kane does a absolutely fantastic job, and he's played him so often now that it's like it's almost like he's like as much of a right to be Yoda as Frank Oz. But uh, Fra- just hearing Frank Oz assume that role again in this key moment, absolutely wonderful. And the whole like it's it's tantalizing him saying things like you know, Cyril, I could not until now. Something has changed. And uh, just the idea of it being it being predicated upon he wasn't thinking like a Jedi until now. That's great. As in Kanan wasn't Kanan. thinking like Specific- a Jedi. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now now he has his Padawan. Now he sees himself as being a being worthy of being a Jedi again. And I think one of the things I I mean, this is uh this is pretty much my favourite episode, I think. Yeah. Um and one of the things that I love about that Yoda cameo is that all you have is the disembodied voice. You don't see him. Mm. And in my mind, that makes him Luke's Yoda. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because otherwise suddenly they're throwing Clone Wars Yoda and there's still that slight disconnect. Absolutely, yeah. I was on pins and needles for the entirety of Yoda's part of that episode. Yeah. I just, oh, so excited. You, you, you actually get tingles for the first time that you hear Yoda. It's like, no, it is. It's Yoda. It's like, oh. <laughs> Fanboy squeak. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, th- 
this is when like it, it comes off the most like a fanfic uh, production, but in like a, a really a really good a one. really good one. Yeah, it, it's it's at the point where uh, uh, fanfic, but the, just just simply because it's massaging what we all want to get massaged. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> So not like Power Stroke Rangers. Shamelessly delivering on what we re- require from a return to form on Star Wars, if you get what I'm saying. Which is, yeah. I mean, technically that's what uh, Disney are doing. They, they changed tactics uh, in the original um, production of Episode Seven throughout the uh, uh, original script, which was focusing on the young and brought in the old, which we'll see if that pays off. But I'm really happy that we at least get the chance to see that because there's we've got decades to see the young. We've only got this one chance to see the old. So we'll see. I mean, ultimately, if they start, if this is what their starting off point That's is, grim, <laughs> but true. <laughs> I like to start on the. I like to start on the young master. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we need to end this particular line of discussion. I don't want to get with that. She's old. <laughs> She's at least twenty-two. I'd lay her. Uh, uh, let us not endorse this terrible behavior on Lando's part. We we highly um, uh, disapprove of it. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, but yeah, you, you, know, you, you get my drift. That, that, that like I trust Disney, and I, I, we watched Big Hero Six today as well. So Disney are very much in our good books right now. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to to, to what's coming next, and and ultimately. Um, for the future of this as a series as well. I mean, it's, it's done well enough um, in, in animation uh, terms and there's, you know, it'll be, it'll be selling the uh, merch like hotcakes as well. It's, it's very like wantable merch too. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm focusing on the Lego side of it, but it's like looking at stuff like this. I, I bought myself a Canaan. Oh yeah, I saw, I'm like I said, just, just got to chase the, the Lego. I've got to keep it focused because otherwise it could get, it could get insane. Sharon remembers around about the episode two time when I had to have yeah. every figure. Yeah, you did. Every episode two figure that came out, every senator, every robot, every friggin' battle droid, just like lining up on the shelf, falling over all the time because they were assuming these crazy positions. We, yeah, we call Kanan that nerd that. debt. Yes. <laughs> uh, how is Kanan, by the way? How, how are the toys? Uh, they're the slightly cheaper ones. He's about six quid, so he's right. he's not great. Brutac helps, though. He stays in place. He's now stood next to Mace Window and Darth Vader. Nice. Oh, you get figure stands as well, folks. I do recommend them for figure collectors. Um, so, hang on. Let's let's save Hera for a little bit because actually she ties in with Gaul Travis, uh, the uh, the 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 senator who's uh, sending out um, messages of hope in the Visions of Hope episode. Um, this was the one that made me think, oh, crap. Oh, crap. This is going to be like The Force Unleashed. If you remember, like, spoilers for The Force Unleashed, folks, but you should have played it by now. The Apprentice is basically sent off to hunt the last remaining Jedi for Vader, and then Vader kills him, giving him all the impetus he needs to then reassemble the fragments of what is eventually going to become the Rebels. Uh, and then Vader tracks him, and uh, basically, it's a trap! They haven't got Akbar around to say this, but it's a trap! And uh, the, the the rebel leaders get kidnapped and taken to the uh, early Death Star. So I was thinking, like, when they were going to meet Gaul, don't, don't, it's a trap. It's obviously a trap. But fortunately, Hera is smart. And she completely knew it was a trap. But they, they had to spring it just to see what would happen. But she she believed that it might possibly be real. I was kind of worried that one of them was going to... Um, 
get get captured and obviously that that kind of pays off very you know soon after but uh, there had to be something given for that some, something sacrificed that they they had to achieve something but yeah, I, I was on to Gold Travis immediately from the moment that I saw his shifty looking eyes. In fact, no, from the foot, like, Sharon, if you remember when that, that transmission was like, in the, they were decoding his message and I was like, oh, hell, I know what this is leading up to. You know, if, if we're like, well, we've got to meet you. That's as soon as a meeting is arranged, then suddenly that that's going to start. Like, if he's, it's dodgy. Yeah, like if the Empire can't stop this pirate signal, can't stop the signal, then, uh, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, they know it's going to happen. So it just it seemed like uh, it was way too um, too big a risk, but as as is made clear, they had to spring it. They had to at least get to the bottom of it. And actually, thinking about it, the uh, I've put Inquisitor as Star Killer because he is basically he's um, Vader's uh, attack dog, his bloodhound. Uh, he's um, like the version of Star Killer that you end up as if you choose the road of uh, of hatred. Uh, at the end of the first game, only he's not that beast. As I said, he's not the monster. He's got the uh, self-possession required to basically be the the hunter uh, without being the the hound, as it were. Yeah, he's a delegated hunter rather than a, a dog. And yeah, in 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 the Force Unleashed, uh, as it turns out, the uh, the symbol of the, the rebellion, that, um, that that wonderful phoenix symbol, is actually uh, Star Killer's. Um, is it? Uh, Family crest. Yeah, his family so, crest. Yeah, family crest. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting to really talk about this on the podcast for a long time because th- that story really did get to me. Just the idea of, uh, you know, that ultimately the fact that Galen dies, it's the thing about that the the um, the remit of a, a freedom fighter is to, or, or the remit of, of, of a, a someone who wants peace is to plant trees that he ha- he will not be able to uh, enjoy the shade of. The idea that um, he was, you know, sowing these seeds for the future, but unfortunately was going to have to pay the the highest price for it. I mean, you know, technically high from the point of view that people would forget forget him. He was effectively, aside from in the uh, the hearts of the uh, the people who put the rebellion together, somebody who would fade out of Star Wars history, and now doubly so now that it's no longer um, canon. But they've taken all the best aspects of that story and brought them in here. Which is brilliant. I'm just really happy that that, that uh, you know, even if it's entirely coincidental, and I don't think it is, um, because they'd have said, well, where did this uh, rebel symbol come from? And they have co-opted that concept and turned it into, I mean, it wasn't really the, the, the phoenix before, but now it really is. Yeah, it's an interesting call out because it, it does, it feels, it feels different. I mean, obviously it's an aesthetically different source. Mm. Uh I'm I'm curious to see how that's going to evolve as the as the series continues. Yeah. Uh, Hera Syndulla, my favorite character. Me too. I wonder how long it took me to actually realize that. I mean, the the, the fact that she's um, here's something <clears throat> that really uh, struck me. Twi'leks are very sec- sensual and sexy as a race. They use that, and eventually they tend to uh, most of their um, dealings with uh, other species tend to be based on, look at that, doesn't this look good, do you like that? And the, that way you get a lot of Twi'lek dances, you get a lot of uh, Twi'lek, um, uh, what would be the best way of putting this? Slave girls? Yeah. Uh, which kind of what happens. They're not really that much of a, a powerful race in terms of exerting influence over the universe. I don't remember actually thinking about it, that many Twi'lek senators. Hera is I will and I'm, I'm not going to say not the least bit sexy but she doesn't go out of her way to be sexy at any point 
She wears baggy overalls. She is a pilot. She has nothing to do with the entertainment industry in any fashion. She's nobody's slave. She owns her own ship. She repeatedly says, this is my ship. It would have been so easy for Kanan to be the Han Solo type. What have you done to my ship? But it's her ship. Uh, And at the same time, she's also very motherly. There's so many things wrapped up here in in, in this wonderful character. I think... Uh, the important distinction to make is that the the Twi'leks that we are used to seeing, it's not so much that they are sensual and sexy, it's that they are sexualized. They are so at the behest of someone else. It's not on their own time. It's certainly not on their own dime. They that's If that's their job, then they're dependent on it for their livelihood. If they're slaves, then they're dependent on it for their life. Bib Fortuna and- may be the highest ranking Twi'lek up until now. <laughs> If, quite possibly, but At I mean, even even he is. Uh, it, it, although it's in a, a, a different element, he is a slave to Jabba. If he puts mm. a foot wrong, it's, he's going to be out, or dead, or you, you know, rank or food. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with Hera, it's it's almost like she is as you as you put. It didn't hit me until you mentioned it, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that they've done this very very consciously. That she is attractive, she is sexy, she is capable of being um, a, a, um, a a person involved in a relationship, but it will be on her terms yeah. and it will be when she wants to. And she has other stuff that she prioritizes first. One of the things that struck me about the relationship between uh, Hera and Kanan is there is n- almost no codependency in there at all. Mm. They are two very individual, very well-rounded people in their own right who have their own shit going on and they have chosen to spend time together, but they are not interlocked into being dependent on each other. It's like if Zoe had hooked up with a more serious-minded Mal. Yeah, which, you know, I mean, that that could very easily have gone that way. Mm. But you look at how Zoe is with Wash, they are a unit. They work very well together. But she wears the pants and she's the one who calls the orders. Indeed. And you don't often think of one without the other. Whereas Kanan and Hera, it almost seems like if you blink, you might miss the fact that they're a couple. Yeah. They're not overt about it. They never actually kiss. They hug. That's about the closest thing they they get. There's very little physical intimacy there, but there's a lot of, um, they're definitely partners. They know each other's thoughts. That way we don't lose too many of the kids who go, is this a kissing book? Yeah. It, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't hit us that hard. It's, uh, yeah, it's, no, I, they don't hammer it, down, they don't ram it down your throat. I, just, I like that Hera has a lot more to her than, because people clearly writing are thinking, or while the writers are clearly thinking about, uh, about gender roles as well, and they're trying to be careful in, you know, it's 2015, and they're working on making sure not to offend anybody and as well as just empowering characters mm. who would normally, especially in this universe, be kind of brushed off as a complete, just a physical body and that's all you're good for. But while as, the attempts to make something that won't offend anybody, especially in the 90s, could end up as wishy-washy now, it's actually extremely well-balanced. She's yeah. assertive without being aggressive. The thing uh, is, it's, though, go ahead, Sharon. Uh, well, it's not that... You say working very hard not to offend anybody, not to have a character painted as 
wallpaper with boobs is not difficult. <laughs> no. <laughs> it is for some. If, if you're looking at that and going, oh, that's too hard, you may be in the wrong industry. <laughs> you games industry. No! Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I will... Let's not go down that path. That's no, that's no, no. A long no, no, day. <laughs> but what I think what I'm impressed by uh, is that they are they're playing against type here because in the Star Wars universe, the the Twi'lek culture, believe it or not, is big time. There is a big time like warrior culture on their planet on, of um, Ryloth. You got Alias Secura there as uh, one of the most beloved fan Jedi as well, mm-hmm. who unfortunately dispatched horribly. Oh, that was awful. So, she never had a chance. Yeah. Because someone was lazy about that scene, and they're just like, well, we need more Jedis to be shot. Ugh. They were lazy about Maybe she won't turn on her laser sword. So. <laughs> well, thankfully, she... all the Jedi were dumb as post. That's how they got the drop on them. Anyway. <laughs> God's sake. All of the, like, 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 Jedi having dreams left, right, and center regarding, you know, the future, but not one of them actively sees this. Uh, let's not talk about the prequels, please. Let it go. Let, let it go. It. <laughs> that happened because it had to happen. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. What I like about the the Ryloth culture uh, that I've read in like the X Wing series, there's some some run ins over there, is they have some very distinct lines between groups of their culture. They have the warriors who are all about like either physical combat or starfighter combat, and though and their language is really cool. I'm not going to geek out about that. Uh, but they also have like the political side where one of the regular characters that we saw in those books were this like really overweight, like politician guy. He wasn't, I don't think he was terribly obnoxious. In fact, he was pretty cool as far as helping out the, the X-Wing team. Oh, hang on. Was there actually, now that you mentioned it, there was a really, really fat blue Twi'lek senator, wasn't there? Am I, I think you're thinking about Doctor Who. No, no, no. Hang on. I, let me just, you carry on. I'll see if I can find this guy. Carry on. Well, it's an interesting aspect because there are also cultural people in that culture who want out, who want to see the the universe, who want to explore the galaxy, who want to find them way Born off of Ryla. How could I forget him? Sorry, carry on. <laughs> and their only way out that they see is to go and sign some kind of a slaver contract where they, you know, have to work off their debt to get off planet, to get off of Ryloth, to get anywhere else in the galaxy. And that's why we see so many Twi'lek girls in the entertainment industry yeah. in, in the universe. Think the elves in Dragon Age, if you've played that game, folks. Well, if the wider commentary there is if you want to get out of this backwater town you live in, you're going to have to get down to your bikini, love. Um, that's quite worrying in and of itself, frankly. Yes. More assertive Twi'leks like Hera. But ultimately, yeah, that, that's a, an excellent example of it's not so much that she's a, a, a female character defined by how much she accepts or does not accept her role in society as she's defined by her race in this case, in so far as she is not going to just be a pole dancer. It's an important stand to make. I made that years ago. Not to say anything bad against pole dancers. <laughs> But ultimately, uh, if an entire race is relegated to that, that does not make it upwardly mobile. Right. Oh, we got super political here. <laughs> I was just saying one of the most important things is she is the balance between everything. She is the one that yeah. sort of tempers Kanan's cowboy nature. Yeah. Actually, without her, they wouldn't have got as, as far as they did. She is the glue that holds everybody together. Yeah. 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 So that... That better be an episode or a couple of episodes right there. Yeah. 
where, you know, maybe she's done with it for a little while. I'm so happy we're finally talking about an animated series that actually has a future. <laughs> <laughs> you did Legend of... Oh, no, wait. I was going to say you did Legend of Korra. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But like, you said it out loud. Now they're canceling it. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but seriously, because we, we only ever tend to talk about animated shows when they're dead. It's rare that we go in at this, like, ground floor level and just go, this was really good. Looking forward to more. Well, the fact is that they start out well. Yeah. They're finally taking animated shows seriously now. They aren't the the Saturday morning cartoon original Thundercats style. They are Justice League and and Rebels. And... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, old dudes, get rude. Nice. God, now you've made me feel 1,000 force points if you got that reference, folks. (laughs) If not, you're a dweeb. Indeed, a dweeb. I'm a foul, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk. Uh, who should we do first, Ezra or Kanan? Um, Ezra's our intro to the series. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, we didn't talk about him in the non-spoiler section, but ultimately um, we can't really talk about him beyond the superficial to do that. So ultimately, we, we, you know, we'll do that now, shall we? He's a yeah. straight rat. And so he turns up and he's pretty much like one jump ahead of the bread line, one swing ahead of the stormtroopers. <laughs> he is very Latin. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this has been said before and it's clearly on purpose and absolutely perfectly works. But once they've got you the like, he's Harry. He, sorry. But once they've given you the, I've already, I've shown my hand at Sabak here. <laughs> Do it. Go for it. Tip my hand and drop my cards. Um, once they've laid down Aladdin, then they move into Harry Potter and they go, no, this guy's uh, been been left alone. He, he knew his parents more than Harry did. But um, all of that, that uh, pain that Harry carried with him, that longing, that's there. And it, it powers him through the, uh, the second half of the series once you re- really start to get to know him. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like he, he manages not to be a moody teenager. And that is such a tough balance, especially considering the heritage of this series. <laughs> they oh, did. Yes. It was very, very smart, though, not to make him a little blonde Aryan white boy by setting him up as Aladdin visual visually as well as in terms of his background and his his immediate superficial character you distance him from luke quite substantially significantly both him and sabine the two most uh, uh standard looking characters uh and in fact yeah and kanan as well they don't look quite as a white boy as you'd normally expect in any average animated show there there's a lot a little bit more sort of like uh, ethnic racial diver- it's not even ethnic is it because they, this is planets not uh, 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 defined by cities. There is more. Um, uh, let's see. Species diversity. Yeah, diversity, variety that? in there. They're a little less China white than you'd st- expect your average uh, uh, your, your template characters to be. They're still white enough, but um, there's that just that little bit on the white t- enough. What does that I even hate mean? That that's a phrase. Uh, no, I totally <laughs> understand it, but I hate phrase. it as an idea. Okay, that is a terrible phrase. White enough. For marketers, how about that one, Fox? There you go. Uh, yeah. White enough for white kids to identify with, but not quite so white that kids who aren't bone white can go, hey, it's yeah. kind of like me, or she's kind of like me. 
It's the, I know you're something, yeah. but I don't know what. And I'd like to see Which is going to be like the that, new, like, John Everyman yeah. kind of character style, I think, for a while. I, I, we were I, watching the Power Rangers movie a bit yesterday, and they seem to have swapped out um, Trini, who was Asian, uh, for uh, a, a black girl, and the black guy, who I can't remember the name of, for an Asian guy, but he was the whitest Asian guy I've ever seen. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, Adam, yeah. How white is this Asian guy? <laughs> He's also a frog. Oh, right. I'm a frog. <laughs> you know what? I know nothing about Power Rangers, and I'm going to implore you folks at home not to ask me to do anything on Power Rangers, please. It doesn't. But if you got much. that reference, it was funny. Okay. Pterodactyl! Mastodon! Frog! Okay, I think I've just messed up already with, like, the Black Ranger anyway, damn it. Yes. Triceratops! Frog! Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, please, Star Wars. Okay, so yeah, um, just just so I'm set, just so you folks understand that I'm on the level here, I want to see less bone white uh, central protagonists and uh, like you know the the idea of uh, a pallid skin tone being the identifiable um, uh, trope, as it were. See, I just have this principle of I don't care about the race or the gender. Just be interesting. I mean, technically, it doesn't like. It, we're in fantasy anyway, so we don't actually... There's never any... We mentioned this on the Empire commentary. There's never any indication that Lando Calrissian had to struggle any harder by being black in, in that scenario. Ultimately, I think when it comes down to it, he's human. That technically puts him above Twi'lek in the hierarchy. Yeah. Which you get well, a mass the, effect In the there Imperial well. hierarchy anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I would say probably the most significant thing about the group is not... Um, is not what the colour of their skin is, but the fact that they're all different. Yes. And the fact that it, the, the important thing is they are a family who have bonded together to watch each other's backs and look after each other. And ultimately, their appearance is irrelevant. It's their character that counts. I like the fact that Zeb is actually a, a species that... Um uh, it hasn't actually appeared before. They, they pretty much made him up for rebels. Uh, it's uh, Lasat. Mm-hmm. So, um, because most of his species has already been wiped out, he is actually a rare and beautiful thing. Um, it's just that he's so horrible and crude that uh, you forget that most of the time. <laughs> One of the things I really liked, actually, about the way he's introduced um, is that they're trying to pass him off as a Wookiee um, in order to uh, sneak onto an Imperial ship. (laughs) That's the best Wookiee sound. That he's based on the original Macquarie artwork for Chewie. There's this brilliant line where somebody goes, that's not a (laughs) Wookiee. That felt a bit like community there. Like, oh, but quit shoving everything up its own ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, I liked it. <laughs> no, no, that was it was a good wink, and I appreciated. See, it. I love it when Arbet shoves everything up its own ass. It's it just gets meta within meta. But um, but yeah, the uh, like I said, Zeb does have his own kind of like quiet beauty to him, and uh, Lyra immediately figured out as soon as they the, he started looking grave about the weapons. I think that those weapons are something to, to do with his people, and she's very good and quick at now at, at picking up on uh, on little things like that. And she's uh, we always get her to keep an eye out for it. Um, and uh, I love the fact that kids can enjoy this show, and at the same time there is depth and political complexity, and it it manages it without doing that belaboring aspect of it that uh, that Clone Wars and 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 specifically the prequels did regarding the, the political side of things. Um, 
like I said, it's 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 there, but it's in the simple world, simpler world of the original trilogy, where it's more about sort of just emotional drive. Yeah. So Ezra Ezra is your Harry Potter, and uh, he has. I think this is the first time we've really seen this force talent in an animated show. He has power over animals. Yeah, Was, he has a really strong connection. It feels like that should have been in Kotor, because that would have been useful. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Especially against that big dark side ugly beast yeah, thing. Yeah. You're on my team now. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the that is a is an like th- there's a lot of times when like Ezra Ezra begins to sort of brush against the dark side, and you sense that there is there is much anger in him. Uh, but at the same time, it's more complex, and it's it's not just anger. There's a lot of there's there's you know fear in there, and and the the, the thing about him um, not wanting to know the truth about his parents and, and that being all mixed up, it is right and true that you approach these various emotions as things that need to be explored rather than fear feel you never feel this should you you must not feel fear or anger or pain or any of these things that make one human or indeed any of the other number of species basically all of those things that make a relatable character it's very important that that sort of stuff is confronted and i actually think that in time they've got three choices when it comes to moving forward with star wars uh, if the prequels remain canon. Uh, one is that uh, somewhere along the line they rewrite the prequels and um, just basically go, right, okay, let's just do that again, but less horrible, shall we? Which is going to get very confusing because then effectively you're rewriting the absolute ground floor bl- baseline for the universe since technically the Knights of the Old Republic stuff is no longer canon. Um, and that's going to be very, very difficult. So they've got to go for one of the other two, which is one, sweep it under the rug, pretend it's not there, and try not to ever reference it if they possibly can. And we already know with uh, Rebels that that's not actually what they're doing. And the that leaves the third option, which is to basically, as Sharon said, pick the bits of it that most bear up to examination and expand on them. And go, right, you know what? The Jedi were getting complacent the jedi were getting stagnated and when it comes down to it as terrible as anakin's actions were they actually led to shaking up what had become a very solid system that um what was uh, a very um decayed system system. that was far too uh um rigidly uh pushed towards order and interestingly enough in doing that he shoved the pendulum so hard into order that the Empire became like a ridiculously exaggerated version of what the Jedi had been. That bears up to a lot of examination in the future. But his actions do ultimately bring balance to the Force. Mm. But they also bring about chaos as effectively the the Reformation after the the Empire, well, at least after the second Death Star explodes, we don't know what happened to the Empire yet. But that ultimately is where the pendulum begins to swing back in the other direction. Indeed. But that's that's the thing. If you have too much order, how do you balance that? Hmm. And Ezra, balance it with chaos. And Ezra is a perfect example of how this can be explored with a character who can become more complex as they go on. He starts out as Aladdin and he could end up all kinds of Harry Potter in the Deathly Hallows. And beyond. Because ultimately they don't have to stop in the same way. And that's one of the, the comforting things about Star Wars. This is a universe that's going to run and run. And, you know, we, we said it back when we were doing the original uh, episodes. I, I, I was saying there are going to be more Star Wars films. This thing is going to outlast all of us. It's, they can't possibly just draw a line under it and go, you know, there's never an episode seven. They should make one of those. But, 
but yeah, it's it's just going to keep going, which means that basically, you know, unless they kill absolutely everybody on this crew mercilessly and, and and absolutely traumatize all the children, which I somehow doubt is going to happen, we're going to get more about like their their, their lives are going to continue. The interesting thing, and this may date this show horribly, is will there be any mention of these guys in Seven? It may date the show. Um, I think that Seven was probably scripted and finished before they worked out that Rebels was definitely going to continue. I think it was like it was approved at the tail end of last year for a second series. Mm, yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe they'll be in in eight, and they'll actually have a live action Freddie Prince Jr. show up. <sighs> Because here's the interesting thing. Um, I, I wouldn't bank on Kanan because Ezra is Luke's age, so he'll be just like that. The way uh, now looks, uh, he he could be like get off my lawn age like of, of levels. However, um, they have total license to basically bring rebels into the cinema in this time frame. It doesn't have to actually be uh, running concurrent. They can jump back and forth <coughs> in time. Yeah, one of my hopes with the spin-off stuff that they've talked about, not particularly the episodes, is I'd love to see them get their hands on the plans for the first Death Star. I want to see that story. <laughs> many Bothans many died Bothans to bring died. This, this story. <laughs> Here you go, Rebels. This is many Bothans. Okay, guys. Uh, we're going to be standing over there. The Bothans are all wearing red shirts. <laughs> George R. R. Martin. Ah, <laughs> Make it so, furry one. Okay, um, let me just... Season two, it was approved for a second season on in October 2014. So I think that was actually a little bit too late in episode seven. Like they can put a note in there, but it's not going to be key plot developments. It's not going to turn out that, I, I don't believe, that uh, dude with the great big red lightsaber turns out to be an aged Ezra. <gasps> oh, man! But that would be interesting. <laughs> But no, I don't actually want to see Ezra. Like, you know, they cement it at the end of this year and go, you know what? Let's find out how he went down the dark path and became Darth Bastard. Because <laughs> uh, we've seen that. It's not much fun to watch because you know no. the end. I always <laughs> There's wanted... a reason it wasn't fun to watch. Yeah. And it wasn't because we knew the end, Alex. <laughs> That's very true, actually. But the ending didn't help. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, Ezra, I mean, as a character, he's quite inoffensive. He could have been really annoying. He's probably the least directly appealing of the characters to actually be on yeah. screen. Like, he's he's very much there as the, the, the person there for the kids to enjoy. Yeah. But he's got some he's of the best emotional stuff. And he's got, you know, he's, he's very relatable in terms of, like, y- your Harry figure. And there's a lot more of that to come. Mm. And he's got and a lot more of when we talk about episodes, we'll touch on that a little bit more. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, hang on. Uh, I wasn't actually going to go episode by episode, but if you want to, do you want to like uh, hone in on a specific one? Um, there's, oh, well, I just, there's three that I've got I wanted to call out when Lebo showed up. Yeah, Empire. Was it Lebo? Uh, uh, yeah, Zebo. Zebo. Uh, the Rodian. All right, Blebo, or whatever his name is. <laughs> um, but he was that connection. He was that connection to Ezra's parents, and Ezra. You know, we still don't know. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. We still don't know. If you honestly, if you're listening to this, you've decided you've committed, so spoilers don't matter anymore. But Ezra, he was so I don't want to know. I don't want to know what happened to my parents the whole time. That pain was there, and we're gonna see. I'm really excited to see where that goes because one person on the ghost knows now. Hera, the secret keeper. Mm-hmm. That's what she does, and she's gonna drop that when it's 
probably either a really dramatic moment, not because she's trying to create drama because she's such the mom, but maybe there's going to be a moment in the next season of some kind when she, some separation or horrible thing might be happening and Hera has to tell him because she may never see Ezra again. You know, Or she's going to regret not telling him earlier. Yeah. But again, there's a tension there. And uh, they've, they've sort of set that up with that, that Hera is particularly uh, accomplished at keeping secrets when they have to be kept. And uh, Sharon, you were wondering what the hell she was planning to do if she got uh, captured. Oh, no, I was pretty sure it was going to be very grim. Yeah. Uh, but she has a fake tooth that is a cyanide capsule. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a lightsaber capsule. You just bite it, oh, it just no. boom. You swallow it and it just empties your inside. Possibly just a microscopic thermal detonator. There you go. Ow. Anyway, so... That puddle. So, yeah. It was the spy. <laughs> Empire Day. Uh, I love the fact that in that episode, there's the the the, the, the triumphant version of the Imperial March. But it's, <laughs> it's the fun version of the Imperial March that they play yeah. during their propaganda parades. Um, and uh, Path of the Jedi is, again, an absolutely massively important uh, episode for him when he's going through his trials. Incidentally, I went back and watched the Clone Wars episode uh, where the uh, Je- the Jedi the Padawans, go through, Padawans go through their trials. I-, I looked at, like, two top ten lists of uh, Clone Wars episodes. Most of them have just been lots and lots of action. I've not been impressed. The episode, which a lot of people don't even like the, the younglings doing their thing. Um, I loved that episode. Lyra was, was transfixed. The, the one where the little Ithorian, like, has to go off on his own. And uh, Lyra was crying. She went, no, don't go. She, she was really engaged. So, it really, these um, animated shows are, are what's her gateway to Star Wars. And that thing about, you know, you, kids don't need a kid analog in a, 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 a show to, to really engage with it. It bloody helps, at least in the case of Lyra, it does. Because Luke is your child analogue in the original trilogy, but he grows up really pretty fast. I think if you're trying to um, evoke empathy in small children, the difference between um, an adult empathising with a a child character is that an adult has been a child. A child has never been an adult. There are certain things that they can't get their head around and they they would potentially struggle to uh, visualise themselves dealing with. That stuff just comes with time. That's just how it is. Speaking of which, Kane and Jarrus, um, Freddie Prince Jr. I remember hating Freddie Prince Jr. I was about to say, I did too. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr., I don't know how this happened, but he has become sort of my vocal man crush because every character he seems to do, I end up falling in love with, whether it's Iron Bull or, or Kanan or even now, oh God, I forgot his name from Mass Effect 3. Uh, James? James, for some reason, I really like that guy as well. Yeah. And it's and who's I Iron Bull, realize... by the way? What's that in? That's Dragon, Dragon Age Inquisition. Inquisition. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, but now he's gone to voice acting. I love this guy. Yeah. He's so good. He's <laughs> there. So you good. can't see his face. Yeah, he's got this Don't small, do a live action punchable face. I've got a theory that maybe Tobin Maguire would actually. I'd really start to like Tobin Maguire eventually. No, no, just no. no. But uh, <laughs> at least I want to have that possibility that if you, you change your career around and start doing voice acting so that I can't see your horrible face, suddenly I'll like What makes me interested, actually, for season two is he's bringing the wife along, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, my God, you're absolutely right. That's going to be interesting. Mm. I mean, it's going to be interesting anyway, but uh, that'll be an interesting dynamic, I suppose. Temper. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to wonder if... Uh, if that's going to show. But, wow, he lucked out. 
Honestly, how the <laughs> hell can you be Freddie Prince Jr. and somehow marry Sarah Michelle Gellar? It beggars belief. Beggars canyon belief. Right. <laughs> good looking and rich. How does it beg a belief? He once took a shit in Matthew Lillard's trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if it was Matthew who took a shit in his or he took a shit in Matthew's, then turned up the uh, the, the heating and basically oh, God. It, day. it was on the set of Scooby-Doo and then the other, the, the, um, whoever the unfortunate <laughs> recipient of right. it came home and went, oh, wonderful, you've shit in my trailer and now the entire trailer stinks of shit. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm swearing too much for a kid's show, but this yeah, isn't a kid's editing. podcast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, ultimately, I don't expect kids to really get into the, um, the com- complexity. I should. I should expect them to. But if, I should also expect kids to be able to deal with swear words. Yeah, they, they probably know more than us anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Kanan Jarrus, um, I, I expected him to be a lot more kind of like, uh, don't get khaki, kid, and a lot more kind of like Han Solo. But as it goes on, it doesn't even take that long at all for you to realize how not sure of himself he is. Who, who's, who does he feel like? He doesn't... Hmm. He feels slightly Lukish almost. Yes. I would say. That sort of... Luke in... Jedi a bit. Yes, before he's faced down Vader. Yeah, yeah. When he's he's got enough knowledge to know that he is definitely on his way to becoming a Jedi, but he's not a hundred percent certain of how much he can carry off or what he's capable of. Oh, and very Sorry, uh, not from Mass Effect. My James, uh, J- James, who is unsure yeah, of himself when he starts. Yeah, out. not far off. But also the fact that he's very isolated. Um, like Luke, he is um, pretty much the last um and or at least he's he's alone enough to feel that way but he doesn't consider himself um, to be a jedi he hides that he he breaks that part of himself up and stores it in different areas around the body one of the things that i really love about it though is that his tells for this are all um visual mm. There's there's uh, things like the way he carries himself. He's very round-shouldered. He doesn't tend to, unless he's doing it consciously, he doesn't tend to stand tall mm. and, and um, you know, exude confidence. The fact that, as you say, he carries his lightsaber around in, in uh, broken up into pieces attached to his belt. Yeah. Not because he doesn't... Um, well, I don't know, the, the Inquisitor almost... teases him about this and says, you don't even leave it hanging on your belt. Yeah, I know, because he's not stupid. He doesn't want to walk into a cantina and say, we don't serve Jedi here. Holy shit, it's a Jedi. Well, no, but I think that there's an element of, you know, the average person on the street probably wouldn't even recognize a lightsaber. Well, your religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. But I think he is, he is very hesitant to sell himself that way. He doesn't want to walk into somewhere and have people interpret him as a hero. Yeah. Or something rare or something exceptional. He's uh, yeah. like Will Parry, very much sort of like, don't look at me, don't notice me, I'm just going to do my thing. Yeah, there's some some echoes of The Secret Apprentice in there too for me. Mm-hmm. I see okay. mostly during the parts of the Force Unleashed game where he has no idea what he needs to do next. Yeah. It just feels like there's a lot of indeterminate like, okay, I live day to day and that's what I do. I love the fact that he's not brooding, though. Again, they, they, they managed yeah. to avoid the brooding teenager and the brooding, brooding adult. It would have been really easy. Yeah, so easy. Like, all this pressure on me. You weren't there, man. The Jedi all died. I'm the last survivor. 
Yeah, just making himself, as a result, more like self-important about it. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. so special. I've got special blood. It's Obi-Wan is right holding me back. <laughs> no, let's not. Let's avoid it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they never said the M word. Not one No, point. they didn't. Let's no. Don't even think about it. Stop thinking about Sorry, it. I just invoked it. <laughs> don't invoke it. Never. <laughs> Ever. But no, that's the thing, because they don't do the science of the Force. They go back to the spirituality of the Force. Yes. With, uh, you know, that, that wonderful disembodied Yoda and the, 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 the sense of, like, the, the, the cave, obviously. Uh, you know, oh, my gosh, that, yes. That aspect and the whole, only, only what you take with you. And all of that, that was fa- fascinating. And that's why I also love that Youngling episode where they, um, the, the, the kids have to face their own inner demons in the same sort of way. And ultimately it's far, it's less terrifying, but it's more an, an aspect of, you know, th- these are the things holding you back that could also set you free if you know how to confront them. And I really like how the writing is working gently to pair these two together, pair Kanan and Ezra as master and apprentice. Yeah. And it's, it, it has to do been something obnoxious. about trying it. I, it just it, it rather they, they they it feels it feels effortless in the way that it that it's been written so far yeah. because you know they kind of they come together and it's not a force thing it's not we need you to be a Jedi now so you can save the galaxy Luke we don't need that yeah. we we have we have kind of time because they don't really know it isn't an overall thing that they're trying to achieve right now it's they're trying they're honestly they're living day to day hitting the empire where they can in little little bursts which yeah it's really starting to bug the imperial presence on Lothal but the way they're putting these two together like with the path of the Jedi episode the way that they found the for the Jedi temple and had to together use their their you know their proficiency with the force in order to make this happen they had to be one unit master and apprentice in order to raise that tower up out of the ground so they get in there and Kanan's learning from Ezra as well which is the best dynamic for a teacher student to it's mm-hmm. most interesting to watch it's so boring it's, to watch a student not knowing anything and having the teacher just just dictate lively yeah. uh, like answer every question with another question. Like then they're Professor Bins in Harry Potter, and no one cares about or that. Morpheus, basically. It's you know, I was thinking that like, Morpheus is a really great sage. No, he's not. He's a religious zealot. He's boring to watch by today's standards. He's so. Were you sure listening to me, Ezra, or were you looking at the Ethorian <laughs> in the red dress? <laughs> Full throats, quite powerful. <laughs> but it's because the focus is all about connections, um, and uh, I mean the the other little snippets that I I loved were uh, all the times when he's trying to get Ezra to connect with the, those little cat creatures. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, as you say, it brings the force back to this idea of of something that permeates everything living um, and connects it all together. But connections go both ways. So where you have, um, you know. Hera as this hub that all the other people on the crew are kind of bonded to each other through her. It's their relationship with her that keeps them all um, linked together. Um, Ezra and Kanan's interactions go both ways. They're uh, learning to trust each other. They're learning to grow um, and develop through their interactions with each other. And that makes that sense of connection all the stronger rather than it just being somebody trailing after the other person on a lead. So when Kenan actually gets uh, uh, taken away, there there was a little bit in the back of my mind. I was going, "Hang on, they could actually conceivably have him killed here." The you know that he's performed enough 
of his mentor duties for Ezra to start him off, and that could be the person that they have to avenge. Uh, but it's it's this sort of wonderful kind of Han Solo taken away by Boba Fett thing, um, and so the the like the last four episodes all kind of link into one another. Uh, it is extremely well handled and well played, and it shows that the team, when they're wrong footed, how they can come back from that, and how important Hero is for holding them together as well. Actually, I want to, do want to mention uh, Ezra's lightsaber. A lot of people gave this uh, show shit as soon as they saw the catapult. They were like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he have that? It's a stupid weapon. It made perfect sense to me from the point of view of the fact that you can't really have this young kid, the street rat, the kid that all the kids at home are going to want to sort of identify with, coldly gunning down stormtroopers, just blasting yeah. them in the face with a blaster that will kill them. It, there's, like, he's... If he's kind of innocent still, so having him have this like kind of makeshift looking um, stun weapon makes yeah. more sense. I mean, maybe if it had been like a, an obvious stun blaster, but there's something kind of they all look deadly. Yeah. if you're a blaster, that's just how they look. Like it's set to stun. You have to keep reminding them. It's set to stun, but that implies that it could be set to kill. Uh, so yeah, having him have this uh, uh, child's weapon, effectively something non-lethal. That he, I mean, there's still that point where he like he fires it in the uh, the pilot at that stormtrooper who goes over the bridge and gives us the Wilhelm, and you're like, dude, he just totally killed a guy there. And then it turns out that he was still clinging to the uh, uh, the balustrade and gets kicked to his death by Callus in a comedic fashion. But um, it's important that Ezra start out not killing. And uh, there's plenty of, like, there's a lot of Stormtrooper death in this uh, series. And it almost seemed like they were squeamish about that in uh, the the prequels. That's why they brought in clones. And it's like, well, they're not really ensigned people. And it's never going to be Jedi killing them until the very, very end. And it's okay, they're clones. And they're killing droids. So there's, like, it's totally bloodless. But in this, from certain points of view, massacre. They kill a lot of Stormtroopers. Uh, but uh, th- then he adapts that into his um, his new lightsaber, which Lyra immediately fell in love with and wants for her birthday. Oh, those, it was cool looking. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, it actually has a tactical advantage to it as well. It's, it's, it's smart and it's him and he uses bits and bobs that he got from the rest of the crew. So it's it's the whole crew of the ghost. Uh, you know, in a lightsaber, and at the same time, it's it's cobbled together from li- like bits, just like the original props in Star Wars. It's perfect for the show. To be perfectly honest, I didn't like that lightsaber until I saw Kanan use it. Nice, of course, yeah. It's a bloody clever idea, I thought. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a stun, but it's also his lightsaber. It, it and like you said, it, it envisages everything that's the crew and and Ezra. So it. it it's set up to be like the lightsabers are meant to be, which is personal to each Jedi. Yeah. Which the only other one that I've ever seen that strikes me as being truly personally representative is uh, Gunji's wooden one in um, Clone Wars. Yeah. No, I love another thing that I uh, love about that. Uh, I think a tri- uh, three or four episodes put together, Gunji is a, a little Wookiee youngling uh, Jedi who Lyra again immediately adored. Um, she she loves the Wookiees in particular. So when they showed up, showed up in this one, when the little Wookiee gets into trouble in the uh, pilot, she was like, "Oh no, no!" She's because she's seen enough things where they do follow on, where they do follow up with the threat, and they do actually take away the person or the creature, and they like she's seen enough things to actually trust that death can occur, which is great because it means she engages. 
Because if we're just like, ah, Saturday morning cartoons, there will be no consequences to this. That's deadening. Think about it. Like, no one ever died in Thundercats. Nope. Ever. Like, in, in like, Spider-Man, they couldn't say dead or killed. Um, and, like, whenever like, they mention, like, like talking about Uncle Ben, how do you talk about the death of Uncle Ben without saying dead? But for some, we're in a universe where death can occur, and that raises the stakes. And not just ha- can occur, has occurred on a mass scale. And will occur when dumb stuff happens. Yeah. Don't mess up. And actually, this, this, the finale, the uh, Fire Across the Galaxy um, episode, it kind of felt like, specifically the showdown with the Inquisitor, felt like they had taken um, the Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith and revisited those like aspects of both of those ma- climatic ba- uh, lightsaber fights, and I suppose technically um, Attack of the Clones, and made it quite personal, not deeply personal. Um, if the Inquisitor comes back from that fall into fire, horribly mutilated and, and kept alive by machinery, um, then it will be very personal because he's going to hate on a more cold, like you know, on a more uh, direct level. But um, we can only hope because more Jason Isaacs is never a bad thing. But there was a lot going on emotionally with Kanan there specifically, which Obi-Wan never talks about shit during that Phantom Menace fight. And Qui-Gon never talks about anything. It's, it's, just, it's just dazzling blah, blah, blah going on. It's, it's visual storytelling after a fashion because you don't, they never exchange any words. It's just aggressive movements. Uh, but that's all it is. It's just a ballet with lightsabers. And then in uh, Attack of the Clones, it's just gloating. And you know, your powers are far weaker than me. I don't think so. Whoa, this is scintillating. <laughs> and, and then like the, episode, the third one, just ridiculous melodrama of... You underestimate my power! From my point of view, the Jedi are evil! Only the Sith think in absolutes, which in itself is an absolute. Sorry about that. <laughs> I have, the, I high have the high ground! It doesn't f***ing matter! <laughs> in the case of wh- whoever has the high ground or low ground, as we've said before, just be Obi-Wan. That way you win. <laughs> yup. <laughs> anyway, it took all of that and it, it basically it retold elements of that conflict in a way that fits with Star Wars and that we can totally get behind and that is character revealing and that develops Kanan because he was dabbling at the end with the dark side. They were fairly subtle about it. They could have gone for full on like, you know, sweat on his brow, glaring eyes, you know, like, but they didn't. And he doesn't aggressively strike down the Inquisitor, but he refuses to save him. He also doesn't reach out to take his hand. He takes the middle ground, which is, inaction uh or uh what would be the term uh decision not to act rather than inaction it goes batman but i don't have to save you (laughs) he goes that batman because it's it's kind of up in the air as to what batman actually is depending on his various different depictions (laughs) like in the burton version just kills people Whether it depends whether Crazy Frank's been near him lately. But yeah, I mean, you, you see what I mean, though. You know, they, they yeah. they've deliberately set him up in a middle ground where he's not the White Knight, and neither is he. Obviously, you know, dealing with some very very dark uh, forces, uh, you know, working within him, wherein he's just going to kill um, the guy while he's defenseless. 
in, in Obi-Wan's case, in episode three, he was sent on an assassination mission by Yoda. He had to uh, kill him. And he fails to kill him, I might add. But yeah, here with, with uh, Kanan, he, he could have saved him. But it almost seemed like uh, the Inquisitor takes the step to drop at that stage. Like if, if Kanan had offered him his hand, the Inquisitor would have yanked him off the gantry and um, just they'd have both fallen together. Um, it does half feel like that when the Inquisitor's falling, he should just flip him off as he goes. Yes. <laughs> Did you just flip me off? No. <laughs> Uh, so so yeah, I mean the I mean the, the fact that the setting of that area is so very twinned with um, uh, the 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 one in the power chamber in the, in the Phantom Menace, it's almost like you could, if you wanted to, just give kids this and not give them the prequels. Just in terms of that, they'll be asking questions about the Jedi. And it's like, you know, over the next few series, I think they're going to answer enough questions that they could illuminate the important things that happened during the prequels without any actual necessity of sitting through them, which is music to my ears. And then there's that final reveal, which kind of... uh, (laughs) Sharon can attest to this. My jaw dropped and I gasped deeply twice. You gasped. I squeed. I was expecting uh, Vader. I totally expected the Vader because, uh, like I said, I think we all expected the Vader. He appeared in the this extended version earlier in uh, uh, in, in the series, which I've still yet to see that actual scene um, with the multiple turning around to different holograms. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, having him appear at the end there in the Ralph McQuarrie uh, concept art version of him with the red eyes as well, and going right season two now Vader's on the case. Oh my god! And just I, as I said, turned to show and said, "This shit just got real," which of course it did. But then there's the fan one, which will mean <laughs> nothing to a lot of people watching, and they're like, "I don't know who this is," but that's fine because you get the Vader uh, reveal for those people who don't really give a stuff. But for me, we uh, Neil and I engaged in a Twitter conversation where Neil said, I can't remember what the, exactly what you said, like, it's such a shame that you never find out what happened to Ahsoka Tano. I guess, you know, you know, I, I said something along the lines of, oh, you know what, there's always hope. We never saw her body. We never got absolute confirmation she was killed in Order 66. And in the very last episode, she's actually in properly, the wrong Jedi. She is uh, accused of uh, betrayal by the Jedi Council and uh, taken to court. And the Jedi leave her to swing. And it turns out it was Barriss Offee all along. Um, and uh, then she... Importantly, she was taken to court by Tolkien's involved in that as yeah. well. Because it's meant and in the book. Basically, the Jedi just let this happen. And she's told, yeah, mm, sorry about this, we are. You know, wrongfully accused you were. Please come back to the Order. And she stands for a long, long time... And Anakin holds out a little, like it's like a, it's her Padawan braid, I think, or something along those lines. Mm, they just yeah. come back to us. And there's this incredible meaning stamped onto this moment. And it's like, if you come back, we know what's going to happen to you, Ahsoka. That seals your fate at this point. And there's a really uneasy bit of music playing at this point. Like, like she's supposed to go back, but then there's so- everything seems to be wrong with the Jedi. And it's almost like that's the first time that was actually acknowledged in any of the Star Wars prequel-related stuff. That they let her get into this situation and did not defend her. And she holds out her hand to take it and then pulls it back again and goes, no, and walks away. And if you've not really seen Clone Wars, that won't really mean much to you. But for some reason, I've not really seen Clone Wars and that meant a lot to me. And I I really started to warm to this character that I'd only seen bits of in the past. I was going to say, she's probably one of the best characters to come from that. Yeah. 
for folks who've not really watched Clone Wars, she's uh, Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. So the premise of her being there, helping the rebels on one side, while Vader's hounding them on the other, is so loaded with just so much potential for for the next couple of seasons. I was just going to say the setup to this is throughout the series we've been told uh, that Hera is getting her information from a person called Fulcrum. Mm. And Fulcrum's identity is finally revealed in this final, uh, which led to the squeal moment of Ahsoka being revealed and she's still alive! And she, yeah, she comes down the ladder and I just like, I gasped. And, I mean, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be surprising because ultimately it fits so perfectly. And the idea that she would actually be instrumental into the forming of the rebellion. And it, that just seemed to be one of the most uh, exceptional moments of weaving everything good that came out of the prequels into everything good that's going to lead up to the originals. So and it, deeply satisfying. I am satisfied because with I didn't my spend <laughs> Because I didn't spend a whole lot of time with, on the Clone Wars, I honestly have probably watched maybe 15 episodes, maybe probably less than that. Of the whole series. I was kind of just doing a pick and choose path through them. Mm. I didn't have much of a reaction when Ahsoka came out. I went, oh, that's cool. They brought Ahsoka in. I guess that's going to do some interesting things. And then, you know, less than a minute later, Vader hit the screen. Oh, yeah. And I screamed. <laughs> and then inhaled and screamed again. I wish your wife would videotape that. Screamed again. I, did, I screamed four times. <laughs> and my wife, it was, it was more like a, oh! Uh, my wife had to come and check on me to see what was going on. She thought I might have been in pain. But I was so excited that they brought Vader in because it did. It got real at that point, And it really – I mean it was already grounded in Star Wars. It was already in the universe. Mm. But for some reason until Yoda and Vader had made appearances in the series, yeah. it really locked them into this is real Star Wars yeah. for me. Yeah, And it also begs a question. Does she know who Vader is? Is she? Uh, she's going to find out whether Yo, she knows. Or it's going to be a mess, and it's going to be wonderful to watch. Because it's the one interesting thing that's established in Tarkin, mm. the book, is he doesn't know, but he strongly suspects that Vader is Anakin. Yeah, but he kind of has to keep it to himself because he pretty much figures out that if he directly says you are Anakin Skywalker, the Emperor's pretty much going to have him offed. Yeah, of course, because that's like that was one of those like uh, let's keep this stum, shall we? We do not speak yeah. the Jedi. The Jedi. Ah, See, I've and Moff Tarkin come to my chambers. In fact, stay where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be bothered to even look at you. Carry on. I've hardly seen any of the Clone Wars. I think I've seen about five episodes. Um, now, admittedly, Those they were, were all... good episodes. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they were all Ahsoka-centric episodes. When she came down the ladder, I cried. I burst into tears, which was not a reaction I was expecting wow. in the slightest. Why? Can you explain? Because it made me realise that she dodged Order 66. Yeah. Yeah. That was why I squeed. I was so happy to see it. But that, that yeah. required a sacrifice, which is to give up the thing that she had been so uh, uh, inspired by for most of her teenage life. Mm. But also the significance of the term fulcrum in that that is something oh, which is essential if you are going to balance things. Is she the tipping point, perhaps? Maybe so. Something may click over and spark this rebellion. 
<sighs> Anything else on Rebels? Because uh, you know, how long is it going to be till we get more? Because a while, want it now. unfortunately. Like sept- Lyra was October. immediately like, "I want more! I want." Yeah. Well, she demanded that we have a Big Hero Six sequel in the next few she weeks. Did. Yes, she said she wants <laughs> it on August this is, the first. Shall I? She was very specific. She wants it on August the first. <laughs> oh, there is something wonderful about seeing three uh, uh, freighters that the one of any of one of which could have been the Tentive Four of that model just flying in as the cavalry. Oh, you know, one of them was. Uh, I think it was the Tentive Two, Three, and Four. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that just that, that I can't, and then it, it goes soars around. Like we've seen it throughout the series, but suddenly then they then come into the rescue, and then there's star destroyers burning in the background. Such evocative imagery there. Just this, oh, so yeah. I mean, we're so well served right now. I was going to say if they manage to keep the quality up as they have done for this first season, yeah. this is essential viewing. I think because yeah. it I just adds wonderfully to to everything. I'd put it on like uh, Avatar Book Two levels. Definitely better than Book One. I mean, yeah, mm, yeah, but definitely better than Book One. I mean, uh, maybe it doesn't quite reach the absolute emotional heights of Zuko in Book Two. I'm begging you, Prince Zuko. That stuff. What I would say is, it is wonderful building ground. Yeah, that they've done absolutely in thirteen episodes. Yeah. Absolutely. All killer, no filler. Except for the bit with the Melo Ron friends. <laughs> I don't know. I like that episode. I think it, it's the light. You kind of need that lightheartedness because otherwise there's too much dark. Oh, speaking of yeah. um, the, the uh, like just the, the, the painted TIE fighter when that finally came in. And- <laughs> oh, oh, man. I laugh my ass off at that. Awesome. I want that. I kind of want to paint my Lego TIE fighter to look like that. <laughs> I like Being the fact. <laughs> I love the fact that it dresses like, they're not going to see it. Yeah. Until it's in the landing bay. It's like, it's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not very big. And uh, I should do that with one of the minis from the Star Wars game. Okay. Well, <laughs> so just like before we go, tell me two things you'd like to see in uh, uh, season two. Just say season two. Oh, I, I want to see a conversation between Ahsoka and Darth Vader at some point oh, or some kind of a confrontation. Yeah. Kenobi. I want Kenobi. Then. <gasps> With James Arnold Taylor on staff, no, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think we're going to get some Ben. Which uh, L- Lyra asked for Luke, so obviously she does quite like Luke. So uh, yeah, and we could just get a little bit of Luke farm boy and Ben watching. I'm just watching him from afar. That's what I do with my weekends. I've got some popsicles in my desert basement. <laughs> <laughs> I actually perhaps would like. It would be nice to know that there's actually more Jedi out there as well. I suppose, yeah. but not too much. I, I kind of agree with Zan. The prequels were way too much Jedi. We need to f- just, but it would be nice to know that surely more than just a handful that we have at the minute that we know of survived. I reckon we could get Han in there. <laughs> If not hard, we've got to have the Falcon. Uh, Chewie turned up in uh, Clone Wars in an incredibly gratifying moment. Where you're like, "Oh my god, it's totally him!" And they yeah. they they paid such homage to it like, when he turned up. Like the camera roared in appreciation that it was him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when characters appear, it has that kind of Marvel Universe feel now. You know, it's like they it's they like know going. what's cool. Yeah, it's just kind of what they've been going for. That's why I like the idea of the spin-off films yeah. because as much as I like what they're doing, sort of mainline. I kind of like the fact that because we have a universe to play in, yeah. we can go off and do things. We could have a bounty hunter movie, a heist movie, 
a comedy, whatever. You could do just about anything. And yeah. as long as it's well-written and care's taken, it will be entertaining. And if you know me, you'll know that comparing it to the MCU is about the highest praise that it can be offered from, on my part. <laughs> the trouble is that the shared universe is becoming a bit of a craze again. Yes, Transformers and GoBots. And <laughs> what the hell is Transformers going to share a universe with? I don't, maybe G.I. Joe? Because G.I. Joe are going to share it with Mask. I don't think it's so much what they share it with that becomes important as how they do it because I think they're going to miss the essential point of why the MCU works as a shared universe and why the um, uh, the different elements of the Star Wars universe work when you bring them all together. Yeah. It's because you start with the disparate elements and then you bring them together. You don't start with the central premise and then just do stuff around it because that's spin-offs and that's just more Transformers. And there aren't enough beloved Transformers because they focus so much on uh, Prime and Bumblebee the whole way through these films like if uh, Trax turns up the entire cinema is not going to go oh my god it's Trax can I just go back to what Sharon was saying and just say this Warner Brothers are you listening? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, hang on. So, Take like, your time. Give me some good DC content. What Come have, on. What have we had so far? We've got uh, a conversation between Ahsoka and a conversation. It's going to be a confrontation between it's probably going to be. Vader. I want that reveal to happen. It doesn't even have to be in season two. See, now that she's here, I'm now terrified Vader's going to kill her. I've already got reasons to hate Anakin, and I can't even really see him as the same person as Vader. But if he kills Ahsoka, my God. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm gonna go back and watch a lot of Clone Wars, folks. So if you want to tell me, maybe that's why some really so good angry. episodes to watch, specifically some good Ahsoka episodes. <gasps> maybe that could be an explanation. Like maybe that's gonna happen near the end of the Rebels series. No, is is no. Vader kills Ahsoka, no. and that's why he's so angry at the beginning of Episode Four. And we talked about it during the commentary, how Vader is a blunt instrument and all he's there to do is beat on stuff for the Emperor. Yeah, but that makes him into a bad character and kills a really good character. Let's let's just hope. Let's just hope she can get away. Actually, also, there are questions that Sharon and I have been asking regarding. Sorry, Neil, you carry on. Actually, that's one thing this series could do is give Vader some more depth. Yes, yes, it. it could. He needs it. See, now if he's going to be the central antagonist, we finally get to see Vader doing something that's not Empire and Jedi, wherein he's really watchable. I'd like to see him as cold and calculating yeah. and. You know, not an easy. That's the one problem I have. They can't turn him into an easy foil. They can't. Yeah. Get the better of him week in and week out. They have to lose sometimes. Time. We said strangely enough because I listened to it earlier. We said this about the Fast and Furious, and I said it about wrestling. Your heroes are only as good as your villain. Yeah. And Vader's a bit of a heel, but that also means that, um, like, like we. I've always wished that Vader had been turned into well, Anakin had been turned into Vader at the end of one or the end of two, but they at least left one film for Vader to be hunting someone. Now he's on the hunt. I am so excited. And it's not, that, like, it's not that Vader is that fantastic a character. We've had much better, more complex characters, but there is the potential with this writing team to make him not just one of the most iconic villains of all time, but to make that villain more complex, more of an antagonist. Because they sure as hell didn't do it in the prequels. Sorry, keep saying it, but there you go. And they didn't, to be fair, they didn't do much with him in the originals yeah not really 
It was mostly the big reveal that did everything for him. Yeah, it's, yeah. all of his his real characterization happens in Jedi, which everybody ha- well, not everybody, but a lot of people hate. And frankly, having watched the uh, prequels again the other uh, week, just to because like I need to give Lois never again to Rebels. My God, I always say that I hate of all of them. I hate Revenge of the Sith the most. It contains the most atrocities, and it's like the first two are boring and stupid. Uh, but it's almost like they could have been rubbish. But as long as the third one was like had some like. Something, something that wasn't just like error after error, and uh, the action's really horrible and creaky now. It's like old man fights. There's so <laughs> many like f- like the old men turning into flippy millennial rubber dolls, and then back into old men. And it's like you know what? No, neither the doll nor the old man fights well or interestingly. <laughs> And like it's that, that, but that, that's it. They're just fights of people going. There's no like like emotion going on except for during the Obi Wan and uh, Anakin one. And the only person who's got mixed emotions is Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan because Anakin mixed emotions at that point. And the audience is going, for Christ's sake, kill him. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like I really hate that. And, and what I'm getting to is, I'm baffled that people hate Jedi but like Revenge of the Sith a bit more. I'd like for someone, could someone say on the forums why that is with them? Because I don't get that. I don't understand how Return of the Jedi doesn't meet your standards, but Revenge of the Sith does. So yeah, answers on a postcard, folks. Put them in. I, I don't. I don't want to get anyone like on anyone's case about it. I won't argue with you when you put it on there because what's the point? But. I do want to know clearly written in words because I've read it over and over again from various different like clickbait articles that go, actually, Revenge of the Sith wasn't that bad. And I've never read anything which makes me go, yeah, you're right. Because it, it just... It is. It is that bad. Anyway, so... Well, the few films I have walked out of. Come on, this is me. On to Rebels. Um, I, I want to see a lot of flashback episodes so we get to see why these characters are the way they are um, and to see some arcs develop. Like, see, so maybe uh, in the flashbacks we uh, see that they were different when they were younger and that, that you can see how they have um, gone on a... Uh, uh, a journey to end up where they are here and maybe that they might be different characters at the end of season two than they were i mean they already are but like significantly different from how they started at the beginning of season one and uh yeah i'm just gonna throw in some more on sabine because i know everyone raves about her yeah. but she needs more depth we didn't have much to say about her apart from the fact that she wanted trust from uh, uh Hera. but uh yeah she's she's very stylish she's very um uh cool with everyone else but um she basically she she's kind of an asshole to Ezra, especially with draw, drawing his uh, him and uh, uh, Zeb in, in cartoon form uh, in in hilarious fashion. And um, I, I, I want to see more cases of loss without it necessarily pertaining to death, because it is quite possible to do that. Yeah, I kind of want to add one more because uh, I only mentioned one thing that I want to see in season two. I think I want to add more gray force users yeah i want to see some people influence this this crew from a neutral side of the force i'd like to see a couple more force ghosts maybe qui-gon could come out of somewhere because i think he was at the uh, tail end of clone wars uh, qui-gon voiced by liam neeson um uh talked with yoda and uh, there's actually a, the, the the final of finale of Clone Wars ends on a really good um, sort of uh, it's it's, it's a, a Yoda double episode where you just follow him and uh, he gets a sort of a vision of uh, what's going to happen and um, but the the understanding that it kind of has to happen 
but hmm. you know, for, for good to to come of it, it's 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 on Netflix America, so go check it out. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, Yoda is one of the few characters that come, walks out of those prequels with his his uh, dignity, dignity intact. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, obviously, I'd love to see more cameos. Um, you know, a bit of Admiral Akbar would be cool as well. Um, more Lando, <laughs> more Lando, more Han, some Chewie. Uh, but you know, it, it just seems cheap to just say I want to see these characters in there. I want to see them in there and then um, uh, explored in a playful fashion, in a way that um, gives us a better understanding of where they were in this part of the global conflict. Yeah, I think it would be fun to see like an- another a cool heist episode where Lando yeah. relies on Chewie and helps out the crew or something like that. Because we know that Lando and Chewie go back a little bit too. Yeah. And, and there's also things like slotting into place of, uh, we really like these colors that you've used, Sabine. So we're going to give all of our uh, X-Wing pilots uh, orange jumpsuits and these checkers on the Wedge's helmet, for example. Sorry, um, Biggs's helmet. Uh, there's like that. And I, I want to see things slotting into place. So you're like, oh, so that's why that is. And uh, maybe something about the Stormtrooper ensign process, because the, the episode that's very much like Ender's Game uh, where you've got all these like little kids. Yeah, that felt like a, yeah, big time. Uh, it, it felt like you're humanizing finally the Empire, and like I said, more on Callus um, because he has that kind of like we've got a chance now to make the Empire in the same way as the Alliance in Firefly were never really brought out to be more um, uh, more than just sneering uh, classists. We can kind of like show the other side of the Empire as well here. One of the things that I really wanted to say, see, uh, which I've been waiting for a slot to open up so that I could say it before somebody else did um, was uh, Callus uh, engaging with his discomfort at what the Empire is becoming yeah. he, the way he looks at Vader as he walks onto the ship made me think that he's a bit he's going to be a bit um, perturbed by this reliance on the Sith yeah because ultimately, he's he is an agent. He is a man who is very, very good at his job. That does not necessarily make him evil. Yeah, and that's the thing. If um, like you've made him, they've made him this type of character. He's really only got two directions he can go: more uh, power mad and obsessed with order, or less. And if he starts to uh, to tilt ever so slightly towards less, it just has to be a few cracks, just enough so that you understand there's a human being under there, occasional, like, one show of kindness, and suddenly you've got so much more of an interesting character, and you add so much more scope to the Empire itself. Because, I mean, we've seen absolute evil. We've seen Darth Vader kill his men over and over again to the point where it's actually kind of boring. It's a joke now. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Eyes uh, back, choking for hours, and you're dead. And we replace you with a mustache. And now he comes back as Lieutenant Leopold. Brent <laughs> Spiner was playing Gold Travis. Really? Mr. Data himself. All right. Ah, oh, anything else? Oh, I want to see X-Wings, because uh, Incom have definitely made them at this point. Maybe like a, a prototype X-Wing? Because if you remember, like, X-Wings were relatively new for the Battle of Yavin. Y-Wings were old. In fact, Y-Wings have been uh, in um, non-stripped-down form in the Clone Wars. The uh, X-Wing was declared too expensive for production by the Empire. They needed something cheaper that they could just pump out a million of. So they went with Sinar systems and so the TIE it, Fighter. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, uh, another thing, Atats. My God, I love the Atat. The little ATSTs looked weird in this. Were were they the ATDPs that they're calling it in this one? Yeah, it was so weird how sleek they were. Mm. Well, I I didn't find that weird so much as awesome, but carry on. (laughs) I mean, it was was a little jarring, not in a bad way. It was just going, oh, man, yeah, I guess they're still developing this stuff. Yeah. But they were, I don't know, they seemed trim as if an ATST had gone on a diet. (laughs) (laughs) They were not as boxy or bulky. Um, I also, I, I, we've got to go to Dagobah. We've got to, really, haven't we? Run to Dagobah. Run, Run to Dagobah. <laughs> I'm Yoda. I'm a soldier. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. I apologize. It was my fault. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the we, we've got to go to Dagobah. If we're going to see Ben and we're going to... There's so much potential here. Now, it's quite a lot of demands because if you think about it, all of these planets and people that we're demanding and mentioning, they need to be created just for this series. You know, like there's a reason they went back to Lothal over and over again because yeah. it's like they, they made this planet as fleshed out as they could. And it is it is the Tatooine in this series because it's the sort of focal point of all of their activities. But um, like, so you can't just jump into a, 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 a the ghost and then fly to Dagobah for an afternoon. Uh, yeah. So if they go to Dagobah, it's going to have to be for something important. I would say <gasps> continuing Ezra's training is quite important. That's what I was thinking. That dark side cave thing. Totes. Maybe there's an origin for why it's got the dark side energy in it that they could flesh Now's out. Now's the chance to talk about it, unless you're going to go back in the movies. I suppose they just they get permission. Are you going to go back in the movies? No. Well, we'll do it then. Because now they, they, they've got this sort of in-house uh, fiction. Because, I mean, like a lot of people like miss the, uh, the Legends line. There was no central house there deciding what was going to happen. It was a, a loose affiliation of authors, and a lot of the time they ended up contradicting themselves. Now we've got a continuity Bible slowly amassing, and hopefully we'll get some quality out of it that's not just Rebels. So much so in the Legends universe that there was even a book written to correct three books that were not very good. Nice. <laughs> Which were the three books that sucked? That would be the Jedi Academy trilogy. It was right. corrected oh, by I Jedi. I Jedi, which is much better. What is yeah. it? What is that? Just, just for interest's sake. Well, the Jedi do? Academy trilogy basically was about uh, Kip Duron, who joins up with the Jedi Academy, becomes a big Force user, gets tr- uh, blows up an entire sector. Hang of on, the hang universe. on, go back because that. Uh, just go back to gets tricked by a Force ghost. Oh, uh, no spoilers. Yes, uh, it start, It's. Oh no, no, it's not to do with spoilers. But my iFree Skype recorder stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the where Kip Duran kind of joins up with the Jedi Academy and ends up getting tricked by Exar Kun, the dark Jedi who was hanging out on uh, one of those moons of Yavin 4 or wherever that Jedi, yeah, yeah, the Yavin Temple. Yeah, the, and, the Masasi Temple. The Masasi Temple, thank you. And he ended up, you know, blowing up part of the galaxy because of this. And the book, it was kind of a mess and there was just weird stuff going on. And it took three books to tell the story. Whereas I Jedi went to a first person that telling that was Sun weird. Crusher, by the way, the uh, yes, the Sun Crusher. Yeah, okay. The, and then I Jedi. Came but having back not and read these f-ing books, I seem to know a hell of a lot about them. <laughs> and then I Jedi went back and fixed it by having a first person view of Corin Horn, and it only took them half of that novel, the first half of the novel, to fix the Jedi Academy trilogy, and then they went on and finished it with a completely like separate tale of of actual Corrin's journey. And that book is why I love Corrin Horn so much. Yeah. 
Oh, yes, remind me how bad a Jedi Academy was. Oh, yeah. Is that the one? Did, was Low Backer in that one? I Lowy to you. I don't know. Pass. Don't want to even think about that. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, I want me some X Wings. Uh, Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. I mean, this is they're dealing in these circles. They're, they they need to work their way up. At the moment, they've been dealing with Badger, but now they need to work their way up to this guy. <laughs> oh, can we please have Mark Shepard show up somewhere as a voice? I don't care what he does. He could be like a little I mean, not annoying just side creature. I just want Mark Shepard in the show. <laughs> the entire crew of Firefly do voice work. Nope. Get him in, for the love of God. Nathan, Nathan Villian will be playing Han Solo. Oh, he better. I mean, frankly, they could pretty much put Mal in this, and no one would care. I mean, no one would would be angry about it. No. <laughs> well, let's face it; they got James Old Jones back. Yeah, I mean, but in all seriousness, this has actually kind of not slaked my thirst, but it is scratching the itch that I've always needed to have scratched regarding Firefly. It's like you know, I want to see more from this wonderful team, and I want to see you know what they could do to take on this empire. It's the same setup; you can't stop the signal, and now we can actually see that played out in a setting wherein it's not going to get cancelled at any minute. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, ultimately, even if it does get cancelled, we know what happens with the Death Star and the other Death Star and all of that. And then we'll get the, the, the follow-up to that. Basically, it's just broadened that. It, it's bro- Rather than broadening the Firefly universe, it's brought Firefly into Star Wars in terms of setup. And it's also made it kid-accessible, because Firefly isn't. No. You know, too many prostitutes. <laughs> It's not the prostitutes that's the problem, frankly. What, what's the problem in Firefly? Uh, the violence and the language and the... Uh, Actually, no. Terrific, deplorable violence is okay as long as we as long don't have any naughty words. But woe betide you if a prostitute emerges. <sighs> well... Yeah, it's. I don't understand the rules. It's weird. And I'm even if you sit down with a script and explain to them that she's the nicest person in it. Yeah. Uh, in all seriousness, I can I can understand that. Just saying the words, they they don't want prostitutes in children's programming. You're like, okay, yeah, fair enough. But at the same time, uh, Firefly wasn't for children; it was for adults, and that's fine because we now have rebels. Ah, oh, anything else? This show it's, is good. Go yes, watch it. show is good. Yeah. Go watch it. But by if, now I can't believe you're still listening if you haven't seen it yet. But if yeah. not, what are you doing? And I want to see some Princess Leia as well. Because, yes, she'd be about the same age as Ezra as well. Born. You truly belong here with us among the stars. Yeah. I mean, seriously, they pretty much share the birthday, if you remember. Empire Day. Same day. Wow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that was going to Tashi Station because of power converters. Oh, dude, we got to go to Tashi Station. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've never seen to what's fetch in there. Some power converters. Finally, fetch some power converters. And that we'll see Biggs. Yes. See Biggs Darklighter hanging out there. Uh, okay, right. Serious question. With some dweeby kid named Luke. How much of an overlap do you think actually would they be able to do? Would be safe to do? Would be appropriate to do with the original trilogy? Is there, are they actually, actually going to get up to the Battle of Yavin Four? Do you think? It depends on how much. I mean, it really depends on how brave they are because it's going to take some bravery and it's going to take some really meticulous storytelling to make that happen and make it feel good to a way that fans won't freak out. Yeah. You, 
Speaking of Ender's Game, there was actually, uh, I think, like the fourth book in the series takes place at the same time as the first book, and they were tempted when they were making the film to basically, um, it's 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 the same events but from a different character's point of view to basically do the film footage for uh, for this fourth film because of course by the time they if if the first film was successful by the time they got to the fourth all the kids would be way too old for it to actually be appropriate like Narnia. Um, what if? And it's a big old what if. Star Wars Episode Four, from a different point of view. So basically, rather than remake Star Wars, have it be what the hell the crew of the Ghost were doing during Episode Four. Yes. And have them actually take part in in uh, the yes. Battle of Yavin in some capacity. They could totally do that. That they have the license awesome. to do that, and I mean, yeah, even if you've here's the thing: if you've never watched Rebels people would still go and see the Star Wars film that basically takes place at the same time as Star Wars. That's never been done before. That's basically Back to the Future 2. But as a whole <laughs> film. Oh my God. Mind blown Praxis effect. <laughs> okay, on that bombshell... Okay, thank you guys very, very much for coming on. Uh, Neil, would you like to plug your show? Because you didn't get that on the, uh, the commentaries. Uh, yeah, you can find me over at Game Burst, where we bring you the 30-minute news show on a Sunday, a roundtable, a quiz, or meh, whatever we feel like on the Thursday, whether it's 30 minutes or less. And Alex, the Plaid Hat Podcast. That's right. Uh, you can go to PlaidHatGames.com to hear me and some friends of mine uh, who, the friends are the ones that actually run a board game company, talk about the game industry and basically the Plaid Hat Podcast is our way that we get to hang out as friends and uh, just goof off, talk about tabletop gaming and have fun with it. <laughs> PlaidHatGames.com or anywhere uh, your podcasts are found. Thank you guys so, so much for coming on. Uh, at this Thank stage, you. folks, um, we've already recorded the ones for Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. We have yet to record Return of the Jedi, but I'm really looking forward to rounding off the trilogy right now. We'll get there. I'm sorry. The play's almost over. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 12 that, days. I, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm champing at the bit. I would, I would, oh, I'm frankly, excited. I would go back and do the uh, the prequels just if it meant talking more stuff. No. But no. No, that could be fun. But it was a commentary entirely composed of noises. It would just be a going, yeah. Uh, 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 bow down to her, you the queen of slime, <laughs> the queen of filth. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what would happen. So we'll have to find a different and uh, equally beloved films to talk about. Maybe some Marvel films. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe some films with uh, only one length of cut and only, you know, one easily obtainable Blu-ray out there so everyone has complete uniformity when it comes to uh, getting them together. Star Trek. After you've watched uh, Rebels, mm. if you are still champing at the bit to get more Star Wars content, even after watching this or listening to this podcast too, Alex, I just sent you a link uh, in our email thread here of a musical that I saw in Chicago this summer. Mm -hmm. from a theater troupe called Star Kid. They did the Harry Potter musicals, posted them on YouTube, and they have one called Annie, a parody. A-N-I, a you parody. Did, you mentioned that. I think you mentioned that on one of the podcasts. Oh, did I? Okay, then go watch it if you if you get a chance. It's ridiculous. It's stupid, but it's really funny. <laughs> and you get drunk Obi-Wan in it, and he's very, very drunk and hilarious. 
Many years. The Jedi were the guardians. Let us send people for a cup of coffee. Even if you just find that scene, it's amazing. Right, so that, that is it from us. We'll be back next week. Uh, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And may, may, may the force be, be with you. would like to say that's not the not space not. balls fun i'm not the one that keeps making the space balls references <laughs> you're gonna have to do a space balls podcast in all seriousness <laughs> i even started muttering while uh while we were watching today you know planet Druidia is in sight sir you're really a space ball you know that <laughs>